This is Burkittsville, formerly Blair. It is a small, quiet Maryland town, much like a small, quiet town anywhere. No more than 20 families laid their roots here over 200 years ago, many of whom remain, either on this hill or in the town below. There are an unusually high number of children laid to rest here, most of whom passed in the 1940s. Yet no one in the town seems to recall anything unusual about this time, to us anyway. Yet legend tells a different story, one whose evidence is all around us, etched in stone. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Right, Mr. Powers. People really should learn to keep their hands to themselves. Here's yours. It's not because of me that we're here now. Hungry and cold and hunted. Killer clowns from outer space. Holy shit. The doctor is in. I'm gonna get you, fuckers! I love you, Keith. But all I can see right now is food. Sometimes, that is better. Hey, what's going on, son? It's what's coming off. Your face, clean off. As we count down the final days to All Hallows' Eve, we welcome everybody back to Halloween Horrorthon 2 Dead by a Pod with an all-new episode of the Film Effect Podcast, where we give movies the full effect deep dive for the Film Effect Archive. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is the Blair Witch Project. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so... So sorry, because it is my fault, because it was my project. missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, um, a few other options we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? I'm so scared. In the Blair Witch Project, three students vanish after traveling into a Maryland forest to film a documentary on the local Blair Witch legend, leaving only their footage behind. Ah, oh, this is going to be an interesting episode, but we should start right off the bat by saying we're, we're kind of coinciding this one with our buddy Josh over at his podcast, Your Next Favorite Movie, because he's kicking off Film Effect Vember with uh, an episode this week that I did with him on the Blair Witch Project. So you're going to get the deep dive over here, and then everyone listening, when you're done, 
I'm going to attach the link in the episode notes as well. And uh, you can really get my perspective of the movie. I mean, you're going to get the full perspective here. But when that episode, I really get in, uh, in depth with like my first time experience and like how that ties into being, you know, local. This is Maryland. We know all about this area. You know, we don't live in Burkittsville. I'm not going to pretend that we're anywhere near Burkittsville, <laughs> but Maryland's not a big state. Let's just, you know, let's put that out there. It's one of the smaller states. And honestly, Burkittsville is like an hour and a half drive from here. That's it. Yeah. You, never you know. been there. <laughs> I have a couple times, but just drove through. I've never like actually stopped. But uh, when I used to drive a lot for my father, um, I would be on 81 going down to like West Virginia and like Roanoke in that area. And Burkittsville was always one of the exits that uh, you could come off of. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't ever recall even driving, like, anywhere near there or seeing that exit. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things that I I talked about, or Josh and I talked about, was, uh, you know, the area and everything and how, you know, our personal experiences with it. You know, I told him the same thing, how I've only been there a couple times, and... He tells a story about how he drove through there once and almost stopped, but uh, the old wifey was like, ah-ah, put a stop to that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a good episode, though. Uh, go check that out when uh, you're done, done listening to this. And uh, yeah, have some fun with it. It's Halloween, you know? So, but anyway, it's the Blair Witch Project. Before we get into the deep dive, let's talk about our first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that... You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, well, why don't you go first? Let's talk about your first time with this movie because I'm, I'm kind of curious myself. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Um, I know I didn't see it with you because you saw it before I did. Oh, yeah. I remember you seeing it and raving about it, like saying it was like the scariest thing you had ever seen and uh, that it blew you away. So I remember going to see it. It might have been with like one of the Metzgers or, you know, somebody in the neighborhood or something like that. But I distinctly remember going up to East Point and uh, seeing it because it was uh, at that point still relatively new. I think it had only been out maybe a week or two. So the theater was still packed. I remember. And. I remember just being scared too. Yeah, I, I really had a good theater experience. It was uh, like, it was one of those good experiences you get with a horror movie where, you know, there was some crowd reaction and some crowd noise, but it wasn't obnoxious where somebody was talking the whole time or, um, you know, just going over the top. It, it was probably one of the best like horror related theater experiences I had. And I have fond memories of that with this movie of just being in a busy theater, just being excited because I had heard you and a couple other people talk about it. Because uh, when this movie came out, it was pretty much like the perfect time for us. I mean, we were teens at that point. Uh, you know, it it was a brand new thing. I mean, I, obviously, I'm not saying this was uh, the first movie to do found footage, but it was definitely the first big horror movie. You know, it the paved big the breakout way. horror. Yeah, it paved the way where you saw tons of them in the mid to early 2000s and on and still to this day you know you still see some to this day mm -hmm. but it was definitely more of a fad back in the early 2000s because of this movie and just because of how successful it was uh but yeah it was a fond memory i mean it was honestly one of the best horror movie um experiences i had in the theater and i had a great time watching it but yeah i definitely remember you talking about it i just remember like 
you know, you can go into your story. I just remember you telling me like you couldn't sleep that night after watching it. So <laughs> yeah. you kind of got me into it. True story. Now, let me preface this, this by saying that, you know, the hype before I talk about my first time, it's, it's appropriate to talk about, you know, the backstory of this movie, the hype behind it, because man, this really, that this I've, in 1999, films weren't promoted this way. Like this, you see a lot of this now, the way movies are promoted with, um, what's the term I'm looking for? I'm drawing a blank for some reason. Guerrilla marketing. Yeah, exactly. Um, just the way movies are marketed was not like this back in 99. Um, and the way they did it was in January of that year, it had its Sundance premiere and then that's when they kind of like opened the website. The internet was still an early thing. Not everybody had it. Not everybody had the access to it like they do today. Um, fortunately, I did. I had a couple of uh, relatives that were uh, on the World Wide Web at that time. And I remember going to the site after hearing about a report. Uh, there was uh, MTV News back when MTV News was, uh, I don't know, relevant fun to watch mtv in general back when that was just yeah, a decent station and um you know that they were kind of hyping the the sundance film festival and one of the movies they talked about was the blair witch project and i had never heard of this film and i they talked about it and when someone said the word Marilyn, kind of kind of piqued my attention a little bit so i was like okay what's this and they talked about the website and the um you know and how it was like a, a real story a true story and i'm like i never heard of this before like not even on the local news was this ever discussed so so i don't know 94 five years ago let me, let's check this website out and i just remember the website freaking me out just giving me this eerie feeling and um you know, there was more, it was basically just a hype machine. It, there was no like footage, obviously, but there was a couple stills and you had the, the memorable poster with all the, the missing with the three cast members. And, um, you know, eventually a teaser was released. And then a couple weeks before the film came out, you had the sci-fi documentary, Curse of the Blair Witch, which we're getting all of that. But my first time back to that was my cousins. Uh, we went to, um, he, Locally, we saw we got it. Not all the theaters, but some theaters here got access to it two weeks before the um, the, you know, the, the general public, and that's how I saw this. And man, whew, I wasn't kidding when I said I did, I couldn't sleep alone because it, it it literally just because again, this was not like the it was still at this time like hyped as a real a true story. And I bought into it. I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend like I didn't, like I was too cool for school. No, I bought into the hype because it was just, how could you not? They just, they, they marketed this so perfectly for its time. And they really got the, everyone, you know, believing it. I'm not going to say everyone fell for it, but a lot of people did. I was one of them. And I came out of that movie just petrified. I literally slept in the living room upstairs i could not sleep in my bedroom in the basement i was like nope not doing it like and i was 15 years old at the time you know and it was it was just that moment you know the whole theater was just scared and it was just something like 
you don't get that with your average horror movie. It's just kind of a rare experience that, you know, unfortunately, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, that was my first time um, right before it came out um, to the whole, you know, nation or whatever. Wide um, release. yeah. Wide release. Thank you. Um, so yeah, that's that. Yeah, and I just want to say a disclaimer. I thought it was real too. Like I, I bought into it as well. Um, yeah, just because, like I said, it was hard not to. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't speak obviously for everybody, but for myself, like you said, it wasn't advertised like a normal movie. Uh, the advertising called into question whether it was real or not. Also, the way the movie shot, I had never seen a found footage movie like that. Uh, you know, this film doesn't have opening right. credits. <laughs> it just rolls in. Uh, you know, I don't know how it was back in the theater, but now, like, even when you watch it now, it just has the studio and then it rolls into the movie. Like, it doesn't. That's how it was. It was a different in theaters. Yeah. You know, what, I mean, what you see on home video is what you get. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, there was credits at the end, but by then I was already freaked out and bought into it. So <laughs> I didn't really think anything of that. Uh, and, you know, we'll go into, as we talk about found footage movies, there's definitely always a stretch of credibility when you're watching them or, you know, you have to suspend disbelief a little bit, but this movie goes to great lengths uh, and we'll get into it to make it feel real. Like there's not a whole lot in this movie where I'm like, Oh, that w they wouldn't be recording that. That wouldn't happen. So it's very believable in that aspect. So I, yeah, I believed in it too. I thought it was real until later. Cause you know, I had the internet, but it wasn't like Google wasn't a thing back then, or at least it wasn't a wide thing like it is today where you can just Google and find all the cast and find uh, all the information about it and everything like that. So I believed it was real, too, until, you know, later, obviously, until it, like probably once the sequel rolled out, whatever that was, like a year later. <laughs> and then I was right. like, oh, yeah, this isn't that is. Real. You know, I'm just going to say real quick for those who have heard um, either of our before sunrise or sunset episodes, we're going to kind of treat this like those episodes more of just conversational base we're going to talk about everything we're about to break down like the hype the um, the, the the curse of the blue witch documentary that that really um helped more you know it gained more attention to the film itself the film's release the reaction everything home video all that stuff we're gonna get into it in just a second but before we do let's do our live top five rob it's your turn okay i'm feeling kind of basic today Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit, off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling All right, so kind of keeping that conversation going with the found footage that you kind of started, Corey. We're going to do top five favorite found footage movies, because why the hell not? Um, look. Sit back. This might be a long one. I've got several honorable mentions. Uh, I, honestly, I thought this was going to be just like just five movies. That's it. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. But no, when I just kind of peeled back this category a little bit more and thought about it and looked into just what's out there that maybe I'm forgetting. There's a lot of movies there. There's a lot more found footage films that I actually enjoyed than I could recall. So uh, so I got it. Like I said, uh, a, you know, a few honorable mentions, three or four. 
Um, starting with Blair Witch, the, the 2016 uh, version of the film. I was going to say, this movie didn't make the list? <laughs> no, Chris. Nah, the, the, the 2016 version, which I'm a big fan of. Unfortunately, there's other films that I like more. But that's actually... We're going to kind of talk about that and the other sequel a little bit later. But um, in the meantime, that's that made my honorable mentions list. So did The Sacrament, which is a Thai West movie that came out about 10 years ago. That's basically like a loose adaptation of the Jonestown Massacre from the 70s. Um, and it's kind of like told found footage. You got like A.J. Bowen and Joe Swanberg in it. And they're kind of like working for Vice and they're going to this, you know, event or this retreat. I think one of the guy's sisters uh, is part of this commune. And they've got uh, Gene Jones from No Country for Old Men and The Hateful Eight is in the film as um, the father, kind of like the Jim Jones type character. And it's, you know, it was one of them films that was on the HDNet channel when I was back at my old apartment. I came on once and I watched it and I was like, it's pretty damn good. So I DVR'd it the next day and like I, I watched it a handful of times um, when it first came out. I haven't seen it since, um, but nothing against the film. It's just a, a film I've actually really enjoyed. I, I tell people from time to time, hey, I know you like Ty West. Check out The Sacrament. So anyway, that's my second one. Third, Willow Creek. Have you ever heard about Willow Creek or seen Willow Creek? Nah, never heard of it. Uh, okay, so it's a found footage film that also came out around the same time as uh, The Sacrament. Um, written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwaite. It's a found footage film with this like couple um, that go on like this excursion through the woods looking for Bigfoot. They're doing a documentary on like Bigfoot lore and stuff, and then, as you can imagine, things go awry. And you know, it's it's a dark movie, especially for Bobcat. Um, it's it's not like you know, you you would you 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 hear Bobcat Goldthwait's writing and directing a movie, a horror movie. You'd think, okay, it's kind of like a horror comedy. Nah, straight horror. So yeah, Willow Creek's uh, another one. And then finally, VHS, the first one. I put it on there mainly because of the Amateur Night segment that kicks it off. To me, I still think that that's just a damn good 20-minute segment that is like, it, it's freaky as shit. I remember watching it at VHS, and it's a damn shame, too, because that's the very first segment of that anthology film. So I had high hopes coming off of that segment. And um, yeah, none of them actually ever just... No, this this blew them all out of the water, and it actually went on to be. I think it was remade into a full length film called Siren. Unfortunately, I've never seen. But uh, yeah, VHS. I'm not sure if you've seen VHS or not, Corey. If if you haven't, see it for the first segment, Amateur Night. I'm not going to reveal what happens. It's just I'm just going to say one quote from it. I like you, yeah. and, and that's that. So anyway, the actual the actual list number five, Creep. I'm a big Mark Duplass fan, so like this was a side of him like I had never ever seen before, and it's a fucking freaky ass movie. Um, not as high on the sequel as the original. Uh, the sequel is an okay movie, but the first one's just really fucking dark and like really tension based and and character driven for a found footage movie. I'm not sure if you've seen Creep or know what I'm talking about. I know it's on Netflix. I've heard but, of the uh, film. I've 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 heard of it. I've never seen it though. 
Yeah, it's just a movie that just builds, it just crescendos until, you know, the third act, and that's when just shit just breaks out. And I'm not going to, again, get into spoilers, but uh, I highly recommend it. So, yeah, number five for me is Creep. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a ton of time to think on my list, so, because uh, I was busy tonight, but I do have an honorable mention. Uh, that's Paranormal Activity, the Paranormal Activity series in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I think the only one I haven't seen is the last one, uh, uh, because there was several sequels. I mean, for a while it was kind of like the new Saul. I think there was like seven sequels and two spinoffs. I think. I know they just came out with a massive box set recently of all of them. Yeah, they did. I saw that. Um, I had seen at least up to four or five. Um, I legitimately really think the first two are really good. Um. You know, the first one, obviously, watching it, it didn't have the same effect as Blair Witch did. Mm-hmm. I never believed it was real or anything like that. It was older, wiser, uh, plus it was a little more obvious. But uh, it was still enjoyable. It still had good scares uh, thrown in there. It actually made me jump a few times. Um, you know, it, it, I thought it was a well-done found footage movie, and the sequel, at least the first few sequels, I remember, had found different ways to play with the concept uh, you know, one took place in like the 80s, which really stretches credibility because what kind of person and family in the 80s has the technology to record all the time? But anyway, it, they're enjoyable. So I put that as an honorable mention on my list. Paranormal Activity. The first few are, are at least worth watching. I don't know about like the latest sequels because those kind of look like shit. But, uh, you know, they could be fine. <laughs> I've never I've never seen I definitely never seen the last sequel. I might not have seen the one before that. I, I watched up to at least like five, I believe. Um, but anyway, um, my number five is actually a movie that was in your honorable mentions. That's VHS. Uh, I haven't seen any of the other ones. I know there's several, uh, I know there's sequel. I know there's VHS 94. I know, uh, there's a bunch of other ones viral. Yeah. I saw the original, um, just like you. I think the first segment is easily the highlight. Definitely, uh, awesome. Like I, I didn't even know they made it into a feature film. Yeah. Siren. So I might check that out because that definitely interests me. I, you know, were the other stories as good now, but they were entertaining enough. I liked VHS. I thought it was a cool concept at the time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was just glad it was like mixing horror anthology with uh, found footage. So I, I like that whole idea. I, and I, I had a good time watching. It. I remember I watched it with my brother. We both had a good time. Even though it, you know, it's not a perfect film and it definitely uh, peaks at the beginning. Yeah, it's still watchable. So VHS number five. Yeah, and I, I I vaguely remember enjoying a couple segments from VHS two as well. But that's why I checked out after the second film. But um, anyway, number four for me is Wreck, or technically Wreck three. But then halfway through that film, it suddenly ditches the found footage gimmick and turns into an actual film for the duration. <laughs> um. Sorry if I just spoiled anything for anybody. <laughs> but no, it has nothing to do with the story itself. I like Wreck and Wreck 2, but I think Wreck 3 is my favorite of the of the bunch. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that one. Um, it's a really twisted love story. Um, that, yeah, I'm not... It, I'm, I'm kind of... Sorry, guys. I'm just kind of tiptoeing around my words because I don't want to spoil things. Because um, I, I, I do want you people to, you know, check these movies out because we're just... Not talking about it for nothing, you know. So, uh, check out Wreck, or uh, like I said, Wreck 3. 
Um, or all of them. You know, there's four of them. Check the whole quadrilogy out. All right, Corey, how about you? My number four, I, I've heard some people really like the movie. I've heard some people that don't, but I liked it a lot. And that's uh, As Above, So Below. Um, it was a more recent movie. I think it came out like what, maybe five, six years ago, something like that. Um, and I really like the whole premise. So the premise of the film is it's a group of uh, young people exploring the catacombs underneath of uh, Paris. And I just like that whole idea. And they get down there and they're filming. And then it turns out it's basically hell. <laughs> and you're living your personal hell down in the catacombs. Uh, and it's just them escaping. Uh, and it's really awesome. I, I like the idea of being claustrophobic and underground. Uh, that's always really scary to me. Um, my dad is extremely claustrophobic. And a little bit, a little bit of that is, uh, came off on me. Uh, there's times where I just don't feel comfortable in tight spaces. So watching a movie <laughs> where they're in the catacombs, literally hundreds of feet underground, uh, already freaks me out. And then the fact that, you know, they're seeing visions of uh, basically their dark past uh, is very entertaining to me. Uh, you know, it has its faults. Again, like I said, it stretches credibility uh, in spots, but it's an entertaining movie. I, I definitely think it's uh, a good one. And if you're a fan of the found footage horror and you haven't checked it out yet, it's definitely worth watching, in my opinion. Man, if you're claustrophobic, I'd hate to see your reaction to that tunnel scene towards the end of Blair Witch 2016. Woo! <laughs> Goddamn. All right, number three for me is the Blair Witch Project for reasons like we're going to get into. <laughs> um, my number three is not Wreck. I've never seen the Wreck movies. Uh, I, you know, I've heard good things. Uh, uh, you're going to say the, Quarantine, aren't you? Yep. Uh, it's the American remake, Quarantine. <laughs> Um, it's actually a good film. It's, you know, I, I've heard people say Rex better, which I can't, you know, I can't confirm or deny because I haven't seen Rec. Uh, but I saw Quarantine actually in theaters. Uh, I recall. Uh, I think I went with somebody else that wanted to go. I, I mean, I, it wasn't like I was against going to see it, but I just remember kind of getting drugged to see it. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to be that good. I don't want to see Dexter's sister in a found footage movie. But, wait, wait, uh, you were drugged? Drug. Oh, 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 like you were dragged or something. Okay, I thought that you said you were drugged. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was drugged to the theater. You were no, drugged. Somebody, somebody uh, drugged me, dragged me, dragged it, <laughs> dragged it. Uh, they drugged me to the theater they a little bit. made you go. It might have been my brother. I, I don't remember that well, but I remember seeing it in theaters and like, and obviously I've seen it since then, and I really like it. I think it's a well-done found footage movie. It has just a little bit of setup uh, for people uh, who I'll just give a brief brief synopsis. Jennifer Carpenter, a.k.a. Dexter's uh, sister. Uh, she's a reporter. She goes to a fire station to do like a puff piece story. They get a call, go to an apartment complex and then get quarantined in. Uh, and there's a basically a zombie outbreak. So it, it's a cool setup for a found footage. Uh, you know, it's somewhat believable. The fact that there are news crew. Uh, would a news guy really keep filming <laughs> if all that was happening? No, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it had a lot of cool shots. They, they um, did quite a bit with a camera. I remember it was a pretty slick looking movie. Um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Jennifer Carpenter actually turned out to be a pretty good lead. She was a pretty good, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, screen queen in the film and following her around. So, uh, yeah, it was enjoyable. I, I still got to check out the wreck ones. I literally at one point, uh, rented one and just never watched it. So that, that's one that's been on my list is to start the Rex series. 
Now, don't you hate when that happens? When you rent something and forget to watch it or don't or don't have the time to watch it. You yeah. kind of overestimate yourself. Um, I saw quarantine in the theater. I I remember saw on the I saw on it. Listen to me. Saw on I remember it. I remember seeing it with uh, Jeff and uh, <laughs> Lauren, the three of us, and whoever Jeff was dating at the time. That we kind of double dated and went and saw that because it came out around the same time as Death Race. We saw that in the re- we saw that remake in the theater together too. But um, yeah, quarantine. Um, you know, it's. <laughs> It's kind of like pick your poison because it's literally like a shot by shot remake of you know the original wreck. So it's there's really not much difference. It's to my recollection, there's no difference. It's just you know an Americanized version of it, but all the scenes are the same and whatever everything that happens in wreck happens in quarantine. It's got a shot by shot ending. So you know. Um, I enjoy it. I mean, I but as far as I should say, I enjoy them because they're kind of the same movie. Um, but yeah, it, it, I remember walking out of it saying that was fine. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. So number two, uh, we're gonna kind of take a take a break for a second from horror, and I had to throw Project X up on the list, dude. I love me some Project X and. <laughs> So much so that it's my number two over this film, The Witch. Yes, it's true. I definitely did that intentionally. Um, I actually did a guest spot on uh, Backlook Cinema about a year ago on the film, and it was a fun conversation. But yeah, it's, you know, a fun fucking dance uh, party movie. It, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a harmless party movie. Shit goes ridiculous. There's a gnome full of ecstasy that gets busted at some point and the guy wants it back towards the end and, and shit goes completely off the rails and it's a fun movie shot in the neighborhood of Lethal Weapon so like Riggs and Murtaugh or uh, Riggs house is down the street but no um, yeah Project X great soundtrack too it's just a fun movie it's such a fun movie I've seen that movie so many times and I just have a blast every time I watch it I mean, it's one of the movies that can just put me in a great mood after I'm in a shit mood, so. You know, it's funny. It's funny you put that on the list because I see that movie as a shitty or super bad. And you hate super bad. Have you ever seen it? That's why it's funny. Yeah, I've seen Project X. Okay. Yeah, I hate hate super bad. That's interesting that you like that film so much because I look at it as like the found footage slash not as funny version of super bad. That is kind of interesting how you like that and I like super bad. I don't know. Yeah, that that's a movie like I've said numerous times. I've I've tried. I've sat here for as much as I hate that movie. I've watched it in full like seven eight times. Just it's just me trying to get it, and I don't. I haven't been able to get my. I, I just I can't get around it. I I don't understand the fascination behind it. Um, I just to me everyone is like in love with Jonah Hill in that movie. And my biggest gripe is the fact that he tries so hard. Like it, you can just tell he's just saying the word fuck just to either a be cool or b say it just, just to say it. I don't know. It just feels forced. But anyway, this is not about super bad. We're going to move on. What's your number two, Corey? All right. My number two is Blair Witch. Um, yeah, I like, I love this film. Yeah. I, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, you know, but, 
without going into too much detail, I think it's one of the better examples for found footage. I think one of the more believable examples, um, you know, if you're saying show me a found footage movie where I actually believe that they would film. I think it does a pretty good job of uh, setting everything up and explaining why they would be filming and why they would keep continuing to do that. So it's definitely one of the most believable and restrained out of all this list <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, Blair Witch easily number two. All right, which leads us to number one, the Poughkeepsie tapes. Holy fuck, dude. This movie freaked me and Sean both the hell out. I remember I found this because this was a movie. This was one of them films I got shot. It was in the can. It was a waiting release. And then it got shelled all of a sudden. And it got shelled for years. And it was like, is this movie ever going to be released? Well, eventually Scream Factory grabbed the rights from whoever that, whatever company. I think it was MGM or something that had the film in limbo. And they put it out straight to Blu-ray and DVD. But it was about two years, maybe even three prior to that, that the actual movie leaked back when people were torrenting. Not tormenting, torrent. And um, I remember downloading the film. I was like, you know what? I'm all about supporting independent media. Uh, but you know what? This movie's never going to come out. So fuck it. I need to see it. I've been wanting to see it for a while. Downloaded it, burnt it on a fucking blank DVD, took it to Sean's. We watched it. We were both just fucking so freaked out. I mean, we knew it was full of shit. I mean, that's not really a movie that asks you to, like, believe that. I mean, yeah, it does go with the whole, like, this is all real footage that was found by so-and-so, you know. Um, but there's just something more to the movie that just, even when you know it's just totally fabricated and you're still being like holy shit like it's just it, it's a dark movie man it really is um i'm a big fan of it you know that's it uh, the, the crazy side of me loves this shit out of the poughkeepsie tapes so yeah check it out number one again I'm, I'm trying to avoid spoilers there's a lot going on in this movie that i'd rather not you know bring out in the open right now see it for yourself so that's my number one though yeah, I never saw it. I remember seeing. Oh, you've never seen it before. No, I remember seeing oh. adver- I remember seeing advertisements back in the day, and then it got mm-hmm. pulled for whatever reason. Like it never, it never got released for I don't know how long. I don't know what the issue was, but I just. Remember I think it was MGM going, you know, in bankruptcy or something uh, once again because I feel like MGM's been going in and out of business for like the last twenty years. Um, I think that's it. I could be wrong though. I think, but if if I am wrong, I'm pretty positive it was a, a production company just you know going under in general. Whoever funded the movie, and like I said, Scream Factory about five six years ago um, grabbed it and they put out a pretty good collector's edition. So I'm surprised you don't have it. Yeah, no, I never saw it. So it, I because I remember I the trailer. get it now that we're talking about it. Shit, even I don't have it. I just remember the trailer and it had like that Texas chainsaw type narrator. Yeah. And, you know, it was trying to pass off off his reel, which I don't, you know, at that point, obviously I know it's not, but I, I was intrigued. I remember, I think it was me and Smith were seeing some horror movie in the trailer play before and we're like, oh, that looks cool. And then it was just like, yep, yeah, never came out. It, it played before many of movies I saw theatrically. And I'm like, damn, looking forward to seeing this movie. And yeah, it just, next thing you know, 
Sheldon definitely. It's like, oh I'll man, check it out. Yeah. This shit happened with trick or treat. Ugh. So, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I'll have to check it out. I mean, as long as it's not ridiculously priced, maybe <laughs> maybe I'll check it no, out. No, I think it's one of those. Um, one of the cheaper end. In fact, I'm pulling up Amazon now because I know they're having a a sale on Screen Factory films. Uh, the Poughkeepsie tapes right now on Amazon.com is fifteen ninety nine, and it's the oh, yeah, Blu-ray DVD combo. Yeah, that's and cheaper. Actually, factory. you can watch it right now if you have Prime. Oh, cool. Okay, well, maybe I'll check it out before Halloween then. Yeah, man. Anyway. Uh, my number one, it might be controversial, I don't know, but it's my favorite found footage movie. It was definitely the one I was most excited for pre-release, and it didn't disappoint. I had a really good time watching it um, with, uh, I'll go into that uh, after I say it, but anyway, my number one is Cloverfield. Um, okay. You know, I acknowledge, not a perfect movie. Um, it's definitely more mainstream. Like, I just like the whole idea. You know, the whole idea that I was sold on with that movie is found footage while Godzilla attacks. I think like found footage is like perfect for that where like found footage is good for horror. I think it also fits well with a movie like that. I mean, idea of somebody recording uh, Godzilla attacking, especially, you know, this movie came out 15 years ago. So especially nowadays where uh, everybody has a good camera with their smartphone. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. I think the whole found footage while uh, giant monsters attacking Brilliant idea. Well, it's and, it's similar to this film too, Corey, because also that movie had a really big, you know, viral marketing behind it. Because like it, the tra- the first trailer was attached to the Transformers, and back then it didn't even have a date or uh, not a date. Excuse me, it just had a date. It had no title. Yeah, it, no, it had a guerrilla marketing too. But obviously, um, by that point, I think uh, the found footage was a, a lot more exposed. Um, the internet was a lot more ubiquitous. I mean, this was like what Cloverfield came out like what? Oh, eight or something. So nine years after Blair, Witch. Mm-hmm. uh, and obviously I was a lot older and wiser. So I knew from the beginning it's all BS, but I was still excited. And I think it pulled it off. Like, is there caveats with the film? Sure. Like, are some of the characters annoying? Yeah. Or, uh, would all that be film? No. Like, would the characters really survive all that? No. But I just like the idea, like the part where they're on the bridge. Oh, my gosh. Like, that is so cool. Like, just literally watching a bridge just get destroyed and fall as you're filming on the bridge. It's pretty awesome. I I just love the whole idea of it. Um, For people who don't know, T.J. Miller is the guy, cameraman, essentially. Like, he does the voice. Yeah, you as never the see him. You never see him, but his name's HUD, and he does the voice, obviously. So I'm assuming he was just in a, vo- uh, a voiceover booth doing it but it's just pretty funny before he kind of blew up a little bit more yeah you see him like one time i think like in front of the camera at the very beginning and that's it um but yeah i love cloverfield just a fun movie i remember uh me and my buddy that i went to college with brandon were really excited for we went and saw it we had a good time watching it um and that's all that's my top um found footage movie i've definitely seen it the most out of all the found footage films um is it perfect no but I had a good time watching it and, uh, you know, some of the spinoffs that have come out like uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, not a found footage movie, completely different, but entertaining. You know, so I uh, go check that out, too. But yeah, number one Cloverfield for me. I just love that movie. All right. Like I said before, it's not going to be the normal kind of formatted episode you'd expect. We're going to have categories after the fact, but the uh, 
the main entree of this episode, the film effect breakdown. It's just going to be a little bit different because obviously, you know, there's not much to break down. But yeah, essentially, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, it's going to be fun. But essentially, you know, we talked about it uh, before. It's like the movie's really basically a three act structure. I mean, you have your setup at the beginning uh, with the interviews and the setup of the Blair Witch and the mythology. The middle part, a.k.a. wandering in the woods. And you kind of learn a little bit more about the characters, but essentially they're just wandering in the woods the whole time. They maybe find a few creepy things. And then the ending once. Um, uh, one of the, I, I, don't, I won't go into it now, I guess, but once one of them goes missing, essentially the ending where really the horror creeps in. That's really the three parts of the movie. So it, it's like. If we went scene by scene, it would literally be like, this is the scene where they're walking down by the river. Yeah, this is right. the scene where they're walking, uh, you know, through the trees and they talk about the map. This is the what, scene where they're camping. It's how do you like, how do you feel about the idiot time that Mike asked Josh, you know, where, that, uh, where they're at or whatever? <laughs> yeah, it so, doesn't really yeah. lend itself to the normal breakdown that we do. But we still got, <laughs> just, a, lot, we still got a lot to talk about. So let's just get into it now. Start from the top. So we got Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez to thank for this. They both came up with the idea for the Blair Witch Project while at the University of Central Florida back in 93. They were both film students and they were inspired to make the movie after being obsessed with found footage documentaries and paranormal phenomena that was scarier than your traditional scary movie. So they came up with something that had a little bit of both and they started this production company to fund it, Haxon Films, with a few other buddies, Greg Hale, Robin Cowie, and Michael Manello. Uh, it, Haxon, the name of that coming from Benjamin Christensen's 1922 silent documentary horror film of the same name. It's translation meaning witchcraft through the ages. Uh, Daniel and Eduardo, they wrote a 35-page screenplay for their untitled movie without the dialogue the uh, dialogue was all intended to be improvised, just like it was when they were filming it. So in the summer of 96, they uh, placed an ad for um, a casting call in Backstage Magazine and ended up narrowing the number of actors down to 2,000 afterward. And one of those 2,000 was Heather Donahue, who, according to her, auditions for the film were held at Musical Theater Works in NYC. The advertisement said a completely improvised feature film would be shot in a wooded location. Donahue said that during the audition, Myrick and Sanchez posed her the question, you've served seven years of a nine-year sentence. Why should we let you out on parole? To which she had to respond. Joshua Leonard said that he was cast due to his knowledge of how to run a camera. So a, you know, basically his, his handiwork to that is, uh, Kind of would help him get it, get get the job because you know he was going to be able to operate a camera to film some of the scenes. So pre-production of the movie started on October fifth, nineteen ninety-seven, and Michael Manello became a co-producer in developing the mythology behind the film. The creators used many inspirations. For instance, several character names are near anagrams. Uh, Ely Keyword 
The Blair Witch is Edward Kelly, a 16th century mystic. And Rustin Parr, the fictional 1940s child murderer, began as an anagram for Rasputin. The, uh, the Blair Witch is said to be, according to the legend, the ghost of Ailey Kidward, a woman banished from the Blair Witch Town, uh, from the Blair Township, later named Burkittsville, for witchcraft in 1785. Um, so more or less, Sanchez and Merrick were obsessed with all that, plus um, like Salem Witch Trials, the 1953 play The Crucible, you know, themes of injustice, uh, like the stereotype, basically, the the, the the have a back to use as your background for which for witches, but um, yeah, just a couple college guys came up with an idea. And they were smart, you know. They knew that they were not going to get funding elsewhere. So what better way to do it yourself, a little DIY action? Then to just fire up your own company. Get a couple guys involved. Five total. I think that's a pretty healthy start. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty smart, dude. What do you think? I I just want to give, yeah, I just want to give those guys credit because, you know, you got to think, this is back in the mid-90s. So nowadays, you might be sitting there, found footage, duh. But, you know, back then, all you had were big-ass camcorders or film cameras. Like, you didn't have... Uh, you know, the cameras that you can literally are so small can clip anywhere on your body and record or your phone that can always record, uh, you know, so the fact that they had that idea, it's pretty brilliant to me to combine the documentary and, uh, a horror movie. I I think it's a stroke of genius. Uh, you know, you can do it cheap. Uh, it's something they could easily execute. And yeah, like just back in the nineties, that wasn't a thing like, (laughs) You know, so the fact that they could come up with that and splice that, I mean, big props to them. That's definitely thinking outside the box, and that's why uh, we were talking earlier, we were sort of taken aback by it, and it was so believable to us because people didn't do it back then. It wasn't done. Movies weren't made like that. Right, and had, like, you know, you or I, at the time, come up with an idea similar to that, or maybe even the same, like, we would definitely not execute it the same. Like, you know, they at least had the brains to use actual, you know, cameras, different ones. It was a whole, like, just array of fucking cameras, but uh, a whole collection of them that they use, like, three or four different ones. Whereas, you know, we would have, like, a $200 camcorder we got from Walmart and yeah. just go into the woods with our fucking, you know, three-person tents and be like, ooh, we're being scary tonight. Yeah, <sighs> so... Um, you know, as as we're getting into the movie, like I think the beginning of this movie is very effective. I, you know, it it's it's very believable. It sets it up very well. So obviously, you know, the, like these three characters are three like basically young film students, and uh, I think the way they cast it is very believable. I believe that they're all film students. I don't it. I don't just buy like it doesn't come off as just an actress or actor playing uh a film student i mean it seems believable they have a lot of uh industry lingo like when they're talking about the camera or their slate or anything else like anybody who knows even a little bit about how movies are made i mean you know like just the fact that they talk about the logistical side that they have tons of batteries and stuff to run their cameras like you know they would she say we have enough battery power to like run a whole power plant or something 
Yeah, essentially. So it's like right there. It explains why they were able to record, even though they've been in the woods right. for four days. <laughs> you know, so it's just you know it, it sets all that up very well. Like I absolutely believe that they're uh, three film young, like maybe film school graduates or students that are going out to make this documentary. Um, and you know, you get to know uh, the characters a little bit. So you know, it, I think it sets it up very well, and I like the whole interviews. <laughs> You know, like, it's just interesting. Like, you only see, like, little bits and clips, and you don't get a ton of information about the backstory about, you know, the Blair Witch or, you know, Burkittsville or the old town of Blair. Like, you get a little bit, but not too much. And I think that's another credit to the film. Uh, it Just as far as believability, you know, if they crammed all this stuff in through exposition and you knew the whole story and the whole backstory and there's... A, uh, you know, every single detail about the Blair Witch or the child murderer that's in the woods. I think that takes away believability a little bit. I think I like the fact that, uh, you know, it just splices together little clips uh, and you just get little pieces. And, you know, I, I don't know if all the people they interviewed were actors or um, real people and it was improvised, but it feels I very natural. on all that. Yeah. So, you know, a lot more because I've... Um, I've only seen this movie maybe three times. I definitely saw it in theaters. I definitely watched it for the episode. I might have seen it one other time in between, but I don't know a ton about the movie. So, but it, it feels all natural, like with the dialogue and the interviews, because, uh, you know, you watch some movies, uh, you might be watching a news person interview or a documentary, a faux documentary. And, you know, when people are interviewed, it's awkward. <laughs> you know, usually in general, most people are awkward when they're on camera. And it's awkward in a lot of these scenes when they're interviewing people at the beginning. And I think that just lends credence to, uh, you know, this is real uh, because that's how it is. When you watch the news, usually, uh, you know, you might get lucky every once in a while, get somebody who can, uh, you know, speak eloquently and come across OK on camera. But usually it's just the person's like looking away and, you know, not necessarily making a ton of sense or talking about uh the subject there's so you know it's just always awkward like the guy's always itching and <laughs> looking away and like yeah i saw this and then a lot of uh filler words so i think it plays all that in well the fact that that you know you're not getting the whole story in a succinct fashion you just get little clips and vague things and awkward interviews and i think that com comes across very well. so chemistry um you you know you'd expect your three core actors to be like they get together and hang out and develop a chemistry together, you know, for like a week or two prior to production. That was not the case here. Like these actors were all thrown into the wolves from the word go to the point where like Heather Donahue had no idea what to expect. So she brought a knife with her you know, to protect herself because she didn't know these two guys, you know, like they didn't have any sort of like chemistry building, you know, prior to, going out into the woods together or meeting up and shooting this documentary you know um so and i think that that plays a lot in and the realism to this you know it does they don't feel like they're friends like these they, they genuinely feel like they're just you know just three strangers you know you were just basically two of the guys are you know answering an ad that heather put out to you know be crew members for this documentary she's trying to do 
And, um, you know, I'm just kind of piggybacking off of what you said. It is very believable. And I, I buy into it 100% myself. Everything about this feels genuine. Nothing feels staged or pushed or forced or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Earlier, though, talked about the Curse of the Blair Witch documentary. I think it's important to bring that up before we talk about the film itself. Because this was, again, a, a special that was on the Sci-Fi channel that ran a couple weeks prior to the film, you know, getting a, a national release. And it was about an hour long. And it it really helped with uh, explaining, you know, the, 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 the backstory, the folklore, uh, you know, even more so than what you get for the first 15 minutes of this movie or so. And it talks about, like, you know, the legend of the witch, various theories on the filmmaker's disappearance. You know, they're playing into these three still being, you know, missing or gone, whatever it was. And it was professionally narrated and went into much deeper detail on some of the events that occurred in the in the found footage film. Just, it was, there was interviews and investigation footage that was originally intended to be included in the movie. Because originally, they kind of wanted to tackle this investigation on to the end of this movie after it ends. And it's like, ah, I don't think that would have been a good idea. No, that like, would have ruined it. Yeah, yeah. like kind of like what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake did about 20 years ago. How when that movie ends, it kind of like, the, 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 the movie has like a you know, a police documentarian type, like, bookend to it. And after the film ends, you get that, you know, just forced end scene with the guys looking through the basement and, and then, like, old man Leatherface pops out and the, and the film just freeze frames and that's how it ends. It doesn't do nothing like that, you know? They shouldn't have done nothing like that. This just ends. And it ends, you get the credits, and that's it. There's no stingers, there's no none of that. So I'm glad they kept this shit out and made it its own thing. Again, it helped, you know, sell tickets and get people to see this movie that everyone's talking about. I mean, everybody was talking about this movie in the summer of 99. Oh, yeah, it was huge. Was. It was just, it was a global, like, event, you know. It was, for a while, you know, the most, you know, the most profitable you know, independent film ever, but uh, Tom Hanks had to come around and do my big fat Greek wedding three years later. <laughs> but you know, I digress. The uh, the, but yeah, the, I remember it being on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I remember watching it a couple of times prior to seeing it, and it was just like I said, really effective, and it helped with, you know, it helped hype the movie. So, um, you know. We could talk about how they made it, if you want. We're kind of just free throw, uh, just free flow in this. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just, just free flow. You know, we don't have to stick to a certain, you know, itinerary, nothing like that. Um, you know, the movie originally was called The Blair Witch Tapes. The working title was The Blair, Wh The Black Hills Project. Yeah, tongue twister. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that name. Yeah, so 
the way they filmed this was they pretty much gave these guys cameras and they sent them out into the woods and they said and they had cards. They had like every morning they would wake up and they'd have like notes, you know, hidden that was pretty much directing them what to do. They were directing themselves essentially with with all this footage or not footage equipment. And, you know, the filmmakers would give them just cue cards every day and, you know, just explaining or sometimes, you know, you know, mapping out how they want them, what they want them to do for that particular day. And then when nighttime came around, they were just fucking with these guys. They just fucked with them every single night. I mean, these poor actors, uh, the shit they did to them, man, um... Let's see. Filming began on October 23rd, 1997 in the great state of Maryland and lasted for eight days overseen by local cinematographer Neil Fredericks who provided them with a CP-16 film camera. That's the uh, the black and white gimmick you see Josh play with from time to time. The found footage was shot on a high 8 camcorder. Most of the film was actually shot in Seneca Creek State Park in Montgomery County right outside of beautiful Baltimore. A few scenes yeah. were filmed in the historic town of Burkittsville, but not a lot. More or less, the opening cemetery scene is actually in Burkittsville, and that's it. Now, I can tell it's in Maryland. Just like as oh, a Maryland yeah. native, it like instantly I was like, oh yeah, like feel. Even though I've never been to Burkittsville, uh, it just anybody you live anywhere, you can just instantly tell when a movie or anything is shot in the area. There's just always indicators, just like the way the houses looked and just the way the woods looked like, yeah, the woods could look similar to any of the states that kind of in that Appalachian area. Sure. But it definitely has a certain way of looking at it. Like if you're from Maryland, I think instantly you're going to recognize, okay, yeah, I've been in woods that look exactly like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And going back to those interview scenes that weren't filmed in, in Burkittsville, they were filmed, uh, in kind of like local areas, not like in a you know specific spot, because um, they 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 had townspeople that they they were people they were planted actors, not act they they were some were planted, not all of them were they were just people they found and were just like hey can you talk about this photo story for us in front of this camera in front of these people here and go with it. Uh, the actors were given. Hang on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Donahue, Heather, had never operated a camera before, so she had to have a crash course. Uh, As far as the actors go, like I was saying, they were given clues as to their next location through messages hidden inside of 35mm film cans left in milk crates that they were each day. Uh, They had GPS devices. That would that would just pinpoint where they had to go to get these to retrieve these crates. They were given individual instructions to use to help improvise the action of the day, influenced by producer Greg Hale's memories of his military training, in which enemy soldiers would hunt a trainee through wild terrain for three days. The directors moved the characters a long way during the day, harassing them by night and depriving them of food. Over the course of filming, the production team left less and less food for the actors in each day's drops. Over the last two days, Heather Donahue and Michael C. Williams were were um they were they were down to getting a power bar, a piece of fruit, 
and water. That's it for their filming for the day. Oh, God. Yeah. Instead of using fictional names, all three of the actors used their real names, something that Donahue regretted doing. She revealed in 2014 that she had trouble finding new roles because of that. In a recent interview from 2018, director Daniel Myrick said that camp base for the film, uh, that base camp for the film, uh, was a house in Germantown, Maryland, which is about a half hour away outside of Burkittsville, still in that general area, where Eduardo Sanchez shared with his girlfriend. There were 10 to 15 of us there for six weeks, sleeping on couches and on the floor. The shoot took eight days and was a 24-7 operation. After filming, the 20 hours of raw footage had to be cut down to 81 minutes the editing process took... How long do you think it took? Editing down 20 hours to 81 minutes. How long do you and, think that took? And these guys are editing themselves? I mean, I'm assuming months. Like months and months to go through all that go and on. splice that together. Give me a number. i say like maybe seven, eight months. Damn. Close. Very fucking close, dude. Took more than eight months. The directors screened the first cut in small film festivals in order to get feedback and make changes that would ensure that it appealed to an audience that was large enough. Originally, it was hoping that it was hoped that the film would make it onto cable television as the directors did not anticipate a wide release. The final version was submitted to the Sundance Film Festival in January of 1999. After becoming a surprise hit at Sundance, Artists and Entertainment, now Lionsgate, bought the distrib- distribution rights for $1.1 million. Prior to that, Artisan had wanted to change the film's original ending as the test audience were puzzled, although scared. Donahue screams in terror and finds Michael C. Williams facing a corner in the basement before she is knocked to the ground. The directors and Williams traveled to back they traveled back to Maryland and shot four alternate endings, one of which employed body... Uh, sorry, one of which employed bloody elements. Ultimately, they decided to keep the original ending. Myrick said, what makes us fearful is something that's out of the ordinary, unexplained. The first ending kept the audience off balance. It challenged our real-world conventions, and that's what really made it scary. And I agree. Yeah, yeah I agree, too. I think if there would have been, like, a lot of gore at the end, or... Nope. Something over Don't the top. That. It would have, it would kind of ruined it. I, I like the fact that because they were lost in the woods, they find this weird old abandoned house, which it's possible. Like if you don't know where you're at in the middle of the woods, it could be an old house that nobody's lived in. Uh, and you know that you don't really see what happens, but you don't really see anything in the movie, <laughs> and that's kind of real life. Like I mean, how often do you really see crazy stuff like that? So yeah, I I like the ending. You know, is it vague? Like you know. Do some people maybe make fun of the whole thing of uh, Michael standing in the corner? Sure, but I mean, it's set up if you're paying attention. So, uh, you know, I I like the ending. I, I think the ending's pitch perfect for the way the rest of the film is. And I think it would be a huge mistake to go in there and have some kind of big ending where all of a sudden a witch shows up and crazy right. shit's happening or, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's a gore fest. Uh, so I think they had a good call on that, keeping the original ending. Yeah, you don't need all that. Sometimes, you know, your imagination is a scary is a scary enough tool. So, 
Post-production fees increased the cost of the film to several hundred thousand dollars before its Sundance debut, and after marketing costs, the total cost of the film was estimated as ranging between a half a million dollars to three-quarter of a million dollars. The film was originally planned to include both the story of the missing students as well as the aftermath of of their disappearance. And again, this is kind of like what I was talking about earlier. The the found footage of the trio would be framed by newscasts about the search for them, as well as interviews with family members and experts. Most of this material was cut out during editing for feeling contrived and too scripted in favor of focusing completely on the story of the three students. However, much of the deleted material could later be used in the viral marketing for the film, which that's what they did. They just reused some of that stuff they filmed intended to be on the film itself they were like yeah we're just going to use this for the marketing which paid off in spades so uh again it held the record for the highest grossing independent movie of all time until october 2002 when it was surpassed by my, my big fat greek wedding and i mentioned tom tom cruise i mentioned tom hanks's name before because he produced that with his um playtone record uh playtone label or um, production company. So, anyway, um, did I leave anything out prior? You know that we should talk about before the movie itself, or do you want to dive into it now? I feel yeah, like yeah, I I think that's pretty much it. I think that's yeah, pretty thorough. Okay, cool. So right off the cuff, we get that opening text in October '94. Three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary. A year later, their footage was found. Spooky. So, we open up with our character introductions. First with Heather, who's actually uh, in a house owned by the key production assistant, Lonnie Gloran. She's also operating the camera, and he's the voice you hear in that opening shot with her. Um... Uh, yeah, so, you know, we got Michael afterward. Uh, no, she she meets up with Josh afterwards, and then the two of them, he, he makes a comment, they gotta pick Michael up at 8, so they pick him up. And it's clearly their, you know, first time with each other, because there's, you know, formal introductions happening when he gets in the car. So, these are all strangers, or at least uh, Michael is to them. I'm not 100% on Heather I and think- Josh. I think Heather and Josh at least know each other okay. somewhat. Yeah, I that's... mean, I don't, I don't think they're butt buddies or anything, but I think right. they at least know each other. Like, and yeah, obviously the guy Michael is like, you know, he must have answered an ad or whatever. You know, he's brand new. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, these actors. Speaking of them, man, they're poor families in real life. They actually started receiving like sympathy cards from people after the film was released, like people who truly <laughs> believed that their kids were dead or missing. Like we're so That's sorry crazy. about your daughter's loss or your your daughter, you know, just for missing and shit. I don't know. Well, so you, you brought up an interesting point right there. So, you know, since we're local to this or relatively local, when they said they had disappeared mm-hmm. and I believe this happened, I was like, wow, that's weird. I didn't never heard about them disappearing because, you know, you news. figure back then. Yeah. Three, uh, you know, people filming a movie in the woods in Maryland disappear we would have heard about it on the news. I mean, you know, this is back in the day. My parents had the news on every evening when we would eat dinner. So I would see the news every day, essentially. 
so I was just surprised I never heard of it. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh, this, this is real. Well, I never heard of it. That's weird. So that was like one thing they called into question. But obviously that would only be really local uh, people in Maryland. Not that only that, question that, not only that, but the, the fact that this takes place in 94. Yeah, the, the film itself. You know, think about it, though. I was nine. You were se- you were eight. You were, I was ten. You were eight, nine. So, like, how much on the news were we really paying attention? You know, how much of the I watched news- it every night. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, we had it on during dinner. All, maybe I don't know. I'm just saying. It's not. It's it's just something that we overlook. Um, I mean, you bring up a valid point, though. I'm not. I'm not arguing the actual point you're making. Um, I'm just kind of going with it, and making conversation, I guess. So, yeah, uh, the actors, um, they go to Burkittsville, you know, there's, uh, we get these interviews with a bunch of townspeople. Well, first they go to the cemetery, and Heather does her, you know, little introduction to the documentary from that, that headstone, and then we go to the town, there's a bunch of, we got that woman with the daughter who's trying to cover her mouth because she doesn't want to hear the scary story. Um, and then we hear like there's like there's a bunch of people, you know. There's the old there's the the old guy in the sports coat who knows like more details than he probably rather should. <laughs> and you know, of course, that all leads up to the crazy old lady that that Mary character, um, Mary Mary Brown. Uh, yeah, who, she just looks crazy. <laughs> What's well, so, funny? Yeah. I, I have note on that. Uh, they put out flyers, the the actual production team behind this movie, at a local community college in that area looking for interns. And the woman who plays Mary Brown was the only person who signed up. And she's referred on the commentary as the world's oldest college student. The scene was actually shot at her house. That was hers. No production design was done to it. The makeshift wooden gate was already there. That was actually this woman's house. That's how she looked and acted. And she just improvised this story on the whim, pretty much. They gave her, like, kind of, like, bits and pieces of what they wanted. But they basically said, here's what you know about this story. Add to it. You know, improvise. Damn it, you're an actor. Ah. Because something interesting happened to you, actually, at one point in your life. You had an encounter with the Blair Witch. Um, yes, that is, um... A really kind of scary story um, to kind of make ends meet. My dad and I would go fishing down by Taffy's Creek. Right. And you know, it's um, in Burkittsville. I was laying down on the leaves, a pile of leaves, kind of watching my pole and looking up at the sky. Sure. And uh, all of a sudden I felt like something was near me. Right. You know, kind of an eerie feeling. It, it was like a woman, only on her arm, on her hands and everything. It was like hair, like a real dark, almost black hair. Uh-huh. Like like a horse. Like fur? Yeah, like a fur, like horse fur. Then her arms, she had like a shawl, right? wool shawl over her. And she scared you? She threatened and, you? And um, she didn't say anything, but she just kept staring. And then right. she opened up her shawl. And what was under there? And under it, there was hair on her body, like a So horse. she was hairy from head to toe. Yeah, it's and her her legs, and her, you could right. see How she about was her a face? female. 
which just kind of like strange looking. She's always been a highlight to me every time I watch this movie. Because like, she's just so kooky. And, and, and like the way she says like, she's like rubbing her like arm. She's like, like a fur, like, like a fur, like a fur. You know, I don't know. This woman's always stood out to me every time I watch this movie. Um, yeah, and I think it highlights. I think it highlights what I was saying is like you don't know what you're gonna get when you're interviewing people. So right. like they got this batshit story from this crazy lady. So yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty entertaining and pretty believable. I absolutely believe she's nuts. Well, <laughs> the stories told are so convincing, even though we know that they're not real. Like it all comes off very authentic and not staged. Like. I always got a kick out of the kid crying with the mother, like I was saying before, when the mom's talking. And and then there's a part where, like, we cut to this old man whose face is all up in the camera. And, like, he's like, no, sir, to Heather after she asked him if he believes in ghost stories and shit like that. Um, yeah. It's just funny stuff. Um, and then the actual town of Burkittsville. Ah, uh, poor people. So after the film came out, of course, everyone and their mother saw it in the summer of 99. And the the town, the sign of Burkittsville, like, welcome to Burkittsville that we see in the movie, that fucking thing was stolen three different times, and people just came throughout the town, ransacked it, and they, you know, desecrated the graveyard. They just fucked that town all up to the point where, like, I can only imagine the 112 people who live there today, you know, how they feel about tourists, because I... I you know, you and me both know Burkittsville to this day so it gets people to come in and out that are like Blair Witch fans. Guaranteed. Oh, yeah. They probably absolutely. see them come through once a day, sometimes twice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's just when you live in a town like that, you're you're not asking for anything like this. I mean, you might not even have heard of the movie for a while and then all these people start showing up. So, yeah, it's a pretty funny uh, side effect from it happening. But yeah, like what you said, to pretty much wrap up how I feel about this whole like first 20 minutes, is it just feels real. Like You get little tidbits of information. You learn a little bit about our three main characters. Uh, and I think it's just a really effective way to open it up. I mean, it just feels real to me. Even watching it today, it, it feels like it could be a real documentary. I think they did a very good job in that. And making it feel, uh, you know, off the cuff and not scripted and just giving you enough information. So you have a little bit like, you know, something bad happened in right. the woods. The kids are murdered. Um, you know, kids went into the corner, you know, at some point talk about that. But not so much that it bogs it down and you feel like oh, I'm just watching a, you know, a Hollywood movie. So I, I think they did an excellent job opening it up and introducing the characters and you know, just making it very believable that they're shooting a documentary. Yeah, and then we see them after they're you know after they get all the footage that they need. They have their final motel stay. They're drinking and enjoying themselves, letting off steam by drinking scotch. At one point, Heather asks, "Do we have any weed?" Which is funny because apparently after they after um she left acting she became a legal grower of medicinal marijuana yeah so um then we get to they leave the car behind they begin their journey into the woods and we first thing we see is they they encounter these two fishermen who are like like fly fishing in the stream with uh 
it, it's actually a in real life it was a father and son-in-law team. So the directors toyed with the idea that one of them was playing a prank on the kids in the end, like something out of Scooby-Doo, but they didn't follow through with it because it just seemed like it was just stupid as shit, cheesy. Yeah, you know. Oh, that would be so dumb. I'd be so mad if I watched this right. and it was a prank. Like this movie of all movies, like if the, it would have had a twist at the end like that, I would have been like, "Fuck this worst movie ever." Thank God they didn't go down that route, and. Half me doesn't even want to believe that it was even a true story, what I just said. So in the initial draft of the script, Josh was intended to have a strong romantic interest in Heather. In several of the scene instructions given to the actors on the callback auditions, it was instructed that Josh take note of how attractive Heather was and how dejected he should be after she seemed oblivious to this. Eventually, the idea was scrapped as fear the movie would become too cliché. Definitely agree on that tenfold. Do not fucking bring these two together. This movie did not need any sort of relationship sh- shenanigans. Like, none whatsoever. You know what I mean? No. No, because, I mean, to me, if you're going to have a relationship, it would either have to be they're a couple at the beginning of the movie. No, fuck like they're that. Already we see together. that too much. There's too many couples I, well, in, in documentaries. I'm not saying I want to see it, know, but I'm I just know. saying that's more believable than, you know, they're falling in love during this whole time, <laughs> which it's like they're stressed out the whole fucking time. They're lost, yeah. essentially, from the beginning. So of course, and uh, two, you know, how often does that happen? There are three college, like, film students, like, trying to be professional. You know, you can tell uh, Heather wants to be very professional. I, find, I would find it very hard to believe that she would start flirting or start falling for essentially one of her co-workers. So, yeah, that that wouldn't fly at all. I mean, the couple thing could work okay. It would be cliche that they would be a couple. And that brings into question they would have to have good chemistry together because if the chemistry was off and you didn't buy them as a couple, that ruins the movie as well. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's better just having them as three separate people, essentially, trying to work together. Yeah, I don't like that idea either. Yeah, terrible. Fucking so terrible. Um... Thank God they didn't do that. And, yeah, apparently this scene with them, it's the longest piece of film that the three had shot. So, evidently, I I meant, uh, the scene reportedly went as far as at least, I think it went 90 minutes long altogether. Oh, jeez. That's ridiculous, man. I mean, clearly they were drunk. And, you know, that's why everything they got to document for the movie, you know, we can't miss out. So, this scene, I, I don't know. The, hey, what do I have here? Okay, so yeah, the scene went on for at least 90 minutes and involved Josh and Mike reading poetry, followed by some drunken arguing between Josh and Heather. Yeah, fuck that. Did not need the two of them fighting anymore in this goddamn movie. So, knowing that, uh, they begin their trip. They say goodbye to their car, and they head to Coffin Rock. So, I'm sorry. I erroneously said earlier that they said goodbye to their car before meeting the fishermen. Did they meet the fishermen first and then have... I think they met the fishermen first. I, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And then they go to Coffin Rock. Okay. I, I'm, yeah. I skipped the part of my notes. My bad, guys. So, anyway... um. They go to Coffin Rock, and this is, you know, they go record some black and white footage, 
And again, just like the cemetery scene, we have uh, Heather just kind of like saying everything she needs to say for the documentary. They went into the woods prepared to find death. What they found was a desecration of humanity at the site which trappers have often referred to as Coffin Rock. On top of the rock formation, the story of the torture inflicted upon these brave five men unfolded. Each was bound to the other, each man's hands bound to the next man's feet, forming a solid structure out of the men. Blood at the edges of the hemp indicates that this act had committed, been committed while each was alive and able-bodied enough to struggle. In the torso of each man, the intestines had been torn out crudely. On each man's sun-bleached face was inscribed indecipherable writing, cut into their flesh with an eerie precision. The men, still entranced by the horror of what had happened, left the scene to find the sheriff and did not sketch the writing and did not remove the bodies from the rock. Upon return, vultures were seen at the rock, but upon inspection, the bodies had been removed by persons unknown. The search party claimed that the stench of death was still thick, and whomever had taken the bodies had done so in a matter so, of So, early on in filming, a storm moved through the area. In fact, it was the third day of the wood shoot. Some of the scenes actually in the film capture the wet downpour as they go through and uh, trudge along. After filming, the actors returned to their campsite that day only to discover that their tent had leaked and all their belongings and bedding were soaked. So they tried to contact the crew on the radio for help. None of the actors were permitted to carry cell phones, but they could not get a signal possibly being out of range. Their GPS had been pre-programmed with emergency escape routes out of the woods in case they were lost, which happened twice. I'm sorry, thrice. And they were found near. They found the nearby home in which they they people took them in. And after using the homeowner's phone to contact the directors, they were picked up and taken to a local motel so they could shower, and get a decent meal, uh, a decent meal, and a warm bed. Next day, back to business as usual. Sent back out into the woods. They were all nice and clean and dried up. They actually had the tents all, you know, changed actually, exchanged for waterproof tents. And they resumed the shoot. Um, so yeah, basically, the scene with the three. I think this is like one of the campfire scenes coming up. Um, let's see here. Yeah, yeah, this is it because they're still getting to know each other and they're kind of still joking around and not being scared. So yeah, they're in the campfire, and this campfire in particular was the most expensive few seconds of the film as the production had to get the rights for Josh to sing the Gilligan's Island theme. Flames are licking you like the devil there, Josh. Yeah, but this ship has a good captain, not a fat beer-guzzling guy in a blue shirt. He wasn't beer-guzzling. They had no beer on the island, man. If they had had beer, they would have had, like, big-ass orgies. You're, you're kind of like the captain, and Mike's kind of like your Gilligan. No offense. That's all right. I mean that as a compliment. Gilligan was a funny guy. The captain was fat, though. Well, okay, let's call it a thin captain. Let's not call it the captain anymore, you illiterate TV people. It's the skipper. <laughs> okay? No more captain. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And, you know... This whole middle part of the movie can be summed up. It's like basically Honestly, they wake can. up. Yeah, it, it's it's important, but it's honestly, you know, it it's no, not. I, I don't want to say filler, but it 
it can be a little monotonous feeling in certain spots because a lot of it's ad lib. So essentially, it's basically they wake up, you know, talk to the camera. They may be a little bit hopeful in the morning. They start walking. They start arguing about being lost. A lot of arguing. Uh, So much arguing. Yeah, I mean, they're constantly arguing. Heather uh, always claims she has the map when she has the map. She has the map. She knows where she's going. They keep walking. She's like, only a few more hours will be there. They keep walking. They're lost. She doesn't have the map. Yeah, eventually she doesn't have the map. She might kick that fucker Mike in the river. Kick that fucker in kick the river. Kick that fucker just... in the river. That's like one of the, that's the funniest <laughs> fucking scene, dude. Heather, dude, all our shoes are wet. We were laughing at the situation. Fine. We're fucking hungry. We're fucking tired. What the hell else are we supposed you to do? You know what? At this point? <laughs> I kicked the. Fu- I'm sorry. It's fucked up. It's fucked up, but I, I kicked that fucking map into the creek yesterday. <laughs> It was useless. I kicked that fucker into the creek. <laughs> I fucking hope he's kidding. Wow! Mike. Holy shit. I really fucking hope Mike, he's kidding. Are you kidding. I really fucking hope Mike, he's kidding. Are you fucking kidding? I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. You've got to be kidding me. Mike, you have got to fucking be kidding me. I'm fucking kidding. Get the fuck off me, man. the line everybody kind of gets a chuckle out of nowadays fucker, I in the fucker in the river like because who kicks a map firstly like, yeah really I mean, you would throw the map in the river not kick the fucker in the Crumble river that but bitch i guess up. that's i guess that's the ad living but essentially yeah the midpoint he kicked that fucker in the river he starts laughing like to me that's probably the most unbelievable part of this movie it's like for no real reason he just kind of loses his mind there because you think he's going to be the crazy one, then it turns out he's not the crazy one. It turns out to be Josh. So it's just kind of funny, like, kind of loses his mind, says, I kicked that fucker in the river, and it's gone. I guess they just needed a reason or excuse to get rid of the map instead of just having it disappear. So, right. I would have honestly would have rather just had the map disappear, and they don't know what happened to it. Or, yeah, either or, it's fine with me personally. But wait, you back up a second. You see Josh as, like, crazy? Not insane, but like, well, no, what do you mean by that comment? It, I'm, I'm just, I'm, like, I'm just curious. Like, you kind of think Michael at that point has lost his shit because mm-hmm. he's like just saying, "I kicked that fucker in the river," but then he kind of brings it back together because him and Heather end up hanging till the end, and he ends up being a lot because more Josh reasonable and, and rational. Josh turns out missing. That's why I wouldn't say he turned crazy. Yeah, he kind of loses his shit there towards the end, though. Like, well, when, you know, no, with him and Heather. Not arguing. any differently or any more than Heather or, or uh, Mike. Yeah, but I would say, like, Heather and um, Josh definitely had a lot more heat at the end. And I think Josh was a little bit more far gone at that point. Uh, you know, I think there's a reason he kind of went missing first. I think mentally he just from what I've seen in the impression I've gotten from the movie, I think he was definitely a little bit pushed over the edge more than um, Michael and Heather. So yeah, that's, that's just what I meant by it. Uh, like when I was, when I was rewatching it, cause I honestly forgot, like it'd been a while since I've seen it. So I forgot which character disappears. Like I knew one of them disappeared at the end of the second act. 
I didn't remember who, so I honestly thought it was going to be Michael because he's like, I kicked that fucker in the river, and he was acting <laughs> kind of crazy. But no, it was Josh, so <laughs> that took me by a little bit of surprise because it had been so long since I had seen the movie. I just remembered one of the guys disappeared. I didn't remember who exactly. So that's what I meant by that. But essentially, that whole middle part <laughs> is, is is what I broke it down to be. They wake up, walk for a while, get lost, and then uh, get, get kind of... J- dejected and sad go into the tent fall asleep hear weird shit or hear people well, hold uh, hitting on. their tent hold on and then after he kicks the, the after Mike kicks the map in the fucking river Heather punishes him by taking his compass she's like you are no longer allowed to hold the compass I will have possession of this compass you have betrayed us beyond belief this <laughs> is like a, like a fucking kid she treats him like a child she's like yeah Dude. Go sit in the corner. Go sit in the corner. Give me your compass. You are no longer able to tell us what direction we are heading in. Because you have betrayed us all beyond belief. Give me the compass. You've betrayed us all beyond. Way fucking beyond. Give me the compass. You betrayed us when you couldn't get it out of the woods last night. Yeah, thanks. And then what follows this scene is practically the scene where they find all the symbols hanging. Which is like another one of them, like, key freak out moments of the movie not 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 necessarily like freak out in a sense that like there's others that are crazy but this just gets your mind working like what the hell's going on now like it's kind of like as a precursor to what's about to happen and um you know it's one of them it's one of the most memorable moments from the movie actually just walking in that area of the woods where like it's just all those fucking wooden symbols everywhere and it just the way you know, and again, props to, you know, Josh and, and Mike, Mike Williams and Josh Leonard, and their acting because even, and, and as well as Heather Donahue, but like their reaction to these, this, this, this site is just genuine. You know, there's just, you're, there's a shrill in their voice, and they're just like kind of freaked out as to what the hell this is. And it's effective. Yeah. It's one of those effective moments of the movie that I like talking about. Yeah. No, it's a good scene when they it's find It's probably it a production uh, crew member's worst nightmare, putting them fucking things together and hanging them. But still. Yeah, because I, I was going to bring that up when I was like, you know, the whole middle part of the movie is kind of the same thing where they wake up, walk, get lost, right. argue, camp. You see them in the evening talking. Then they fall asleep at night. Crazy shit happens. And then they find weird wooden shit. <laughs> you know, throughout the morning, either around the campsite or like you said in the scene where they actually find like, you know, ba- basically the I don't know what else to call it other than like the Blair Witch symbol, uh, you know, made up uh, in, with wood. And like mm-hmm. you said, I it's got like that pagan cult ritual type feel to it. Oh, yeah. Um, So like Thorn very, from Curse of Michael Myers. Yeah. So it, it it's very vague, but. It is creepy, like it, like you know. I, so many people in film have said, like your imagination is the scariest thing possible. When Ooh, things are left yeah. up to your imagination, it runs away with you, and you start thinking. So you start thinking about a cult, or some crazy witch, or some you know psycho. It can be a number of things. So you know, watching it, that's why I like the fact that you don't get a ton of answers with all that stuff. It's you know, it's sometimes kind of thinking. Sometimes your mind can be your worst enemy. 
Yeah, it's like less is more. I mean, it's the same thing when you're sitting at home and you hear weird noise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not explained. It's just your mind starts running away with things, and then before you know it, you're freaked out. Jump into so that's kind of this, shit like yep, that. that. It's kind of the same thing here. So yeah, and the reactions. I think the acting in the movie. You know, this movie gets some flack. You know, I, I've heard people kind of make fun of it or laugh at it, especially like part with the map. The, I kicked that fucker in the river, but. <laughs> Uh, you know, the <laughs> acting works in this. I mean, I've seen bad acting in found footage or any film in general, like, you know, whether that's like a mockumentary or uh, just a regular movie. I mean, you know, I've seen enough to know where there's good acting and bad acting. And I'm not saying it's like Oscar worthy performance, but it's believable performances. I mean, the reactions to a lot of this stuff is feels very genuine. And that could be down to the fact that they didn't really know a whole lot and they were kind of fucked with and left out in the woods. So that's probably part of it. And the fact that a lot of it is ad libbed and they just had basically the bullet points and cliff notes to the script. So that adds to it. I mean, it definitely makes it feel a little bit monotonous in certain spots in the middle of the movie. I mean, the movie's only an hour, 20 minutes, so it's not like it's long, but that, you know, the middle part, I'm not going to say it drags. It doesn't bother me, but I could, if somebody said, you know, it's kind of boring to me in the middle. I couldn't argue with them. Like, there's definitely certain <laughs> times where I'm like, I don't need to hear them argue again. No arguments but, here. But it's ad libbed, and that's how talking is. Like, you know, when you're when you're with the same people for several days in a row, it's not going to be interesting, thought provoking, different shit every day. You're talking about it's going to be the same stuff, arguing about the map and food and all that. So, I mean, it feels realistic, and you know, like I said, it's. Uh, I the middle part is definitely the most I don't want to say boring, but it's definitely you know the most fillery type part. Like the beginning, I think is very effective, and the end, mm-hmm. obviously, I really like and works. But the middle is still good. I, I you know it, you get more about the characters, it, and it's believable. It has you know? its moments. I mean, it's not all great. I mean, there's definitely a lot of just repetitive bickering and bitching and fighting going on especially between Michael and, and, and Heather when it's just those two left after what happens with Josh coming up but you know and a lot of that stuff gets old and tiresome it really does after seeing the same you know three people in different variants you know having arguments you know in, in their scary movie and shit but you know and thankfully it, it, it's not too too bad but it's enough for me to say hey this could this is sort of a problem it's it's a bit repetitive and we gotta you know cut back a little bit scale back a, a wee bit here but uh, uh no Corey I posed the question though at what point do you just snap and break the camera instead of asking to turn it off can you oh, please yeah. shut I that off? He's so pissed off and tired and, uh, of her filming everything that he's just like, can you please just turn that off instead of grabbing it and throwing it into the fucking woods and shit, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And what you're saying is an issue with every found footage movie, essentially, is at this point, you know, so we're getting towards the end of the second act where they've been wandering. At this point, they know they're fucking lost. You know, towards the beginning... Heather kind of paints it in a way that they're not lost. They're just taking longer than she thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the end of the second act, when they keep wandering and they're getting fucked with more at night and they're hungry because they're running out of food, uh, you know, before Josh disappears and they really go into hysterics, uh, you know, they're all already on edge. And 
it's just yeah like they they fucking know they're lost at that point would they continue filming i seriously doubt it i don't i don't even think heather would really be filming or at least she wouldn't be filming nearly as much at that point i i think any logical or reasonable person would say shit we're lost we're out of food we're possibly being followed we're in a death or like life or death situation here right let's just get the fuck out of here but of course you know it's a found footage movie so of course they're going to keep recording uh i you know i think even though it isn't necessarily believable that they would continue to record at this point um you know once they know they're fucking lost and once they know they're getting fucked with by somebody you know it it's not stretching it enough where i'm like oh there's no fucking way you know it is what it is. It's like, like we say, movies get a movie. You want a fucking movie or not? <laughs> so you know, I don't think it's as bad as other films where I'm like, yeah, there's no fucking way they would be recording this right now. Like, there is just no possible way. I, it when I was watching it the first time when I was younger, it never called into question for me. And even now, I don't think it's that much of a stretch that you would continue filming. But yeah, obviously, I think in real life you wouldn't be filming this anymore. You'd be like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. We're getting lost. And we're might die <laughs> at this right, point, you right. know, <laughs> we're out of food. But yeah, towards the end, I, I think the movie does it very well, too. It just ramps up the edginess. I mean, they definitely you can tell it's a big progression as they go along. They're happy, cheerful, whistling, singing and having a good time to just slightly on edge, slightly fighting and annoyed. And now at the point right before Josh is about to disappear, they're like, who the fuck's following us? What the fuck are those noises? And we hate each other, essentially. So that's basically how it is right before the night Josh goes, you know? Well, yeah, because they're at the campfire, and they're, I think Mike's the first person who speaks up and says that he has a cheeseburger in his pocket, and they all start, like, talking about, you know, what they would eat if they had, you know, opportunities to, to have whatever they wanted or if they were back home or whatever, and out of the situation that they're currently stuck in. Who wants a cheeseburger? I do, I do. <laughs> I got a cheeseburger in my back pocket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a right to cut your uh, You know what I fucking love? What? Mashed potatoes. <laughs> my mom's mashed potatoes. It's a nice scene, and then what follows is another night of just torture and mayhem. Jeans on. Take the video camera. No, get the dot ready.
they wake up the sounds of children coming from outside and it, you know it's it's in real life it's the sounds of kids who lived across the street from Eduardo Sanchez's mother's house he recorded them on on his rec- tape tape box or whatever and and he played it and then also Antonio Cora recorded them uh playing reading and talking gibberish and the production team had three boom boxes with this audio playing outside the tent during the scene. Mike was said Michael C. Williams was said that he was in his most terrified state during this this moment of filming. And when the tent suddenly started shaking violently and they all got scared and ran out, that was all unscripted. And the directors were the ones who did all the tent shaking and left them all scared shitless and caused them to just dip out. And then we hear Heather screaming like, what the fuck is that? What is that? And then she turns the camera and then cuts back to them running. It's a very shaky, mo- eh, very shaky moment. And what it was supposed to happen in this scene is Josh, who was following behind her with his camera, was supposed to turn and catch either it was either i've read two different accounts one is a man dressed in white long johns with a ski mask and the other was a woman wearing a white gown i've i've heard both stories told but either way there was something out there that was supposed to resemble either a creature or a blair witch figure or something and josh was supposed to capture it and was so caught up in running that he didn't get the shot so, <laughs> do you? F- Whoops. Well, let's. How do you feel about this? So, like, would you prefer him? Would you prefer seeing like? I know you said earlier that you're glad that we didn't see like what what it is, but I don't know something about being teased and one of the scariest moments of the movie. Just kind of like I don't know, in in a fucked up way, makes me kind of smirk and smile and wish we would have got that. I don't know. Yeah, I think if it was grainy and long distance enough, right. where to the point where you're watching, technology like, they see something, and it's not yeah. a, it's not their imagination. It's just something there, yeah. But I mean, if we're talking like he was supposed to get a close shot, and it's like plainly a woman in Smart a gown, and she's like, camera. she's like, huh, 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 you know, like if it was something, which obviously I don't think that's what they had planned, but. The way I imagine it is if it was like shaky cam and they were a long way away, it's fucking pitch black and you just see a white blur walking and it's like in a human form. I would be okay with that. I actually would think that would work fairly well. I I would be all right with that. I I would be on board because then it plays into the imagination thing. You can almost kind of is that just like dust and light or is that an actual person or the people just fucking with them for fun or is it really a ghost? You know, your imagination can play with all that. It's vague enough. You know, I, right. I think if they left it big enough, it could work. So then they stay up all night. Well, actually, it's only like an hour. They stay up. They don't go back to the tent. They just stay where they are. And uh, the sun rises and they return to the campsite. And it just shit's all messed up. Covered in slime. It's actually KY jelly in real life. Um... And yeah, I think Josh makes a comment that it's a sign, uh, it's like a calling card or something. I don't know, what have you. But anyway, we get more arguing, you know, the usual from these guys, especially from Mike. 
attacking Heather for filming their experience while they're lost. Like, Josh calmly asks if she's expecting a happy ending or something, and then just goes about while Mike's in the background just yelling and cussing. So, at night, again, by the fire, they're all happy and apologizing to one another, and then Josh is gone. Cut to the following morning. Like, the last thing we hear Josh say in this movie is, my mom's mashed potatoes kick ass. I, I brew his last line down for some odd reason. I don't know. And and that's it. My mom's potatoes. My mom's mashed potatoes kick ass. Thank yep. you, Josh. Thank God. Exit stage left. Joshua Leonard. Thank you. Uh, Heather and Mike, they're, they're now. It's just down to them. Then there were two. Now behind the scenes, Donahue and Williams were unaware that Leonard was gone like they had no idea he was going to be disappearing near the end of the shoot originally mike was actually supposed to be the one that to just disappear but yeah they changed it i guess because of that arguing because apparently josh and, and heather donahue had like a lot of real life hostility and tension built up amongst one another and they weren't seeing eye to eye on things and they weren't getting along so i'm starting to think because of that things were changed at the the, the the, the ninth hour or the 11th hour sorry and um yeah it went from Josh to Mike or from Mike to Josh on a whim just like that so uh not that yeah. it, not that it changes much cause either way it, it, it could have been like it could have been you or I in the scene and it, it there's not much to do it's you know the finale it's really it's Heather's time to shine coming up so yeah, um, the directors left a note for Leonard instructing him to wait for the others to fall asleep and then leave the tent. They had to wait for 45 minutes before calling him out telling him, you're dead. Josh was actually glad to leave because there was a Jane's Addiction concert that he wanted to go to instead. And so, hey man, I love Jane's Addiction. Hopefully you got to see his <laughs> show. So that night, Josh is heard screaming from a distance. In reality, it's another recording of his playing on speakers from a distance and then um yeah the afterwards the next morning or whatever heather finds the the bundle of tied sticks with the uh the bloody teeth and the cloth um yeah teeth's real they found the teeth from a dentist and then uh the hair actually belonged to Joshua Leonard so hmm. Yeah, I like the whole idea. Just like little it's weird a, body gross. parts wrapped up in there. It's the, yeah. it's the scene's only gro- uh, the scene. It's the film's only gross out moment. If if you even want to consider it a gross out moment, because you know, for those who have never seen this movie before, what happens is she just the next morning wakes up to this his like flannel shirt, like a portion of it just cut off and 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 tied wrapped up. And she unwraps it, and it's a bloody cloth with his teeth, like I said. And, uh, yeah, that's it. And before we could really do any heavy investigating, she just kind of, like, takes it and throws it into the woods. And Mike's like, what was that? And he's, he's like, nothing. I'm just, just going to collect myself for a moment and not tell you what the fuck I just saw, because God knows we can't handle two of us freaking out right now. And... Uh, yeah, cause I think 
is this the third act? Is this, is this the final act now? Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, at this point, I think there's only, like, another, like, 15 minutes of the movie. Maybe 20 minutes. Like, it, it, it's not much left once Josh disappears and they find this, because now, obviously, Heather is in full hysterics. I mean, which I would be, too, you know, they, if three of us were there, one of us disappears, and I find teeth in a bundle of sticks. They both are, because I have on my notes after this scene is Mike found cigarettes at the bottom of his bag, so they're still alive. And yeah, they're just trying to cope. They're just, they're, they're barely there. You know, they're psyche, considering that. They're just barely there. And uh, yeah, this is it. This is, uh, afterwards we cut to the iconic apology from yeah. Heather. That it's, it was the poster, it was the box art to the movie, it's everywhere. It's just her face in a weird angle with her runny nose of a faucet or, or faucet of a nose. And, um... Yeah, some people might laugh about this, but it's like, I think it's fitting In all seriousness, before- you're, I, I don't need to cut you off, I'm just trying to back you up, for, you know, it, you're right. This This scene actually, sitting down, all jokes aside watching this tonight this scene really is really fucking effective dude i just want to apologize to mike's mom and josh's mom and my mom and i'm sorry to everyone i was very naive I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. Because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. I insisted that we weren't lost. I insisted that we keep going. I insisted that we walk south. Everything had to be my way. And this is where we've ended up. And it's all because of me that we're here now. Hungry. And cold. And hunted. I love you, Mom. my eyes. I'm scared to open them. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you might say, like, why is she at a weird angle or has the weird light? At this point, they, she don't give a fuck anymore. Like, right, before they were yeah. trying to make this documentary look professional, she's already resigned that she might die or is probably going to die. So... She's like, what the fuck ever? I'm just going to shoot something real quick with me talking, uh, apologizing to everybody. And, you know, it 
Yeah, that's why it looks fucking kind of silly when you see your runny nose, but that's how it'd be. If you were going to die, you would just want to record something saying, hey, mom, you know, I miss you. Sorry to the other moms, like she says. And that would be that. Like, you wouldn't give a shit if it's a weird angle or if you're overexposed because of the light or what have you. So it makes sense the fact that she's just fucking throwing in the towel. It's just like, whatever, I don't care what it looks like, and I'm sorry, you know, to everybody. And it works. I, you know, I, I believe her apology. I think it, it's very uh, effective right here. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, after this. Where am I at here? You know, after the, after the apology, we got more of Josh calling out for the two of them from a distance, and it leads them to... Rustin Parr's house and it's a very freaky ending they go into the house the house is just bombarded by like little handprints all over the walls and they still hear voices and you know great usage of little freaky like little kids voices and shit like they do that I forgot to mention earlier uh, they use like Oh no! I didn't. I did talk about that. The, the neighbors, but the yeah, the, you, it's like so effective. And then you've got the the kids' handprints, which again, of course, they brought in some little kids that come in and just they repainted all the walls because when they first got to the location, it was just full of graffiti. Because this is just an old house that's just that used to be just deep abandoned in in, in the. Uh, the wooded area, a wooded area of like Patapsco State Park down the road, and you know, it's like a year after that the film came out, they they tore the house down. Otherwise, it would have fell down on its own. It was just that they, they didn't have to do much to this house for the film. It was really in that state when they found it. Just some graffiti that they painted over so that they could just repaint it and and just kind of make it look older again and have little kids come in and you know, work their hand magic, hand paint. Kids love hand paint. Come on in. Hand paint my whole house on the inside. So yeah, they are they they go into the house, like I said, they're running all around. At this moment we're cutting back and forth between Mike's camera and um Heather's camera. They're both running up and down steps. Heather is upstairs. Mike runs to the basement. He hears Josh calling for him. He thinks he finds Josh, and then suddenly there's like a hard cut. You hear a drop, that the camera dropped, and then that's it. Cut back to Heather upstairs. She's running downstairs. We should also mention that the audio is out of sync in this scene, too. Um, but it's intentional, because according to mythology, they found the f- film reels and the audio separately and they whatever anyway back to the film and Heather goes down and we find Mike standing in a corner in the same fashion as the story that was told to them by one of the locals at the beginning of the movie how Rustin Parr would line the kids up in the corner one by one so that they couldn't see the other ones being murdered and uh, yeah Heather sees Mike cornered and then before she could turn or say anything or see anything she gets knocked down, out of focus, the camera drops, and it just cuts to darkness in the end credits. Like, it is... Yeah. It is haunting. You're not... You're not... Where is he? 
Where are you? Come on, Josh. I hear him downstairs. Come on, I hear him downstairs. Come on, Josh. Josh, Josh, is that you down there? So yeah, the house, Rustin Parr's house, Patapsco Valley State Park, and then right, this is right outside of Baltimore. Um, like I said, they got demolished afterwards because just yeah, you already said all that. A lot of trespassing. Heather and Mike, they were never told what to expect to find in the basement. Mike was instructed to run up and down and stairs, yelling for Josh before running to the basement and to keep Heather as far behind him as possible. When Mike reached the basement, two production assistants dressed in black grabbed him and told him to stand in the corner. When Heather arrived, they also grabbed her and gently placed her 16mm on the floor while gesturing to her stop screaming. However, due to sound issues, the scene had to be shot twice. Heather Donahue said the first time they did it, so she was, uh, the first time they did it, she was so scared she was hyperventilating and had to be calmed down by the crow. Yeah, I can see that. Not knowing what they expect, and then just these people dressed in all black just grab you in the darkness and be like, "Stop!" Like, no. Yeah. Yeah, it's freaky. I mean, it's an abandoned house, and that's the other thing is like I know they hear Josh. Like they think uh, Mike thinks he hears Josh in the basement. I'll just say personally, I don't care who the fuck is in that basement. I would not <laughs> no. be walking my ass down that basement. Fuck no. I would go in the house probably, but I would not go in that basement. I'd be like, what, Josh? All right, all right, you have a good one, buddy. I'm going to keep walking the other way. Have fun. <laughs> I'll send somebody. You know, I'll put a, a pin on my phone <laughs> to remember where this house is. I'll try to send somebody. Because, yeah, fuck that. I would not be going in that basement. I'm sorry. Like, uh, once you're in the basement, there's only one way out. So, oh, yeah, yeah, fuck that shit. But anyway, yeah, the whole ending, I like the whole idea they find they finally find uh rustin Parr's house i like the idea of the basement and just the little thing it's so simple of like having uh mike stand in the corner like some people might kind of laugh why is he standing in the corner well it's explained and it sounds like a creepy tale of like a child murder i could totally see somebody like that uh doing that having a kid stand in the corner because you know kids are obedient like <laughs> you know they i'm sure kid if an adult told a kid to stand in the corner they would probably do it so it fits with me and the fact that uh mike's standing there and that's all you really get is that and the camera fall and i think it's an effective ending because there's really no other way to continue it i mean if heather's attacked the camera's gonna fall like heather's not gonna continue to carry the camera and be attacked that's where a lot of movies like this lose their steam 
So that's really a good way to end it. I don't know how else you would really end it. I mean, I guess you could have like a jump scare, like a flash of like the witch oh, coming don't. at you. Please don't. The camera. Right. But that would be so stupid and cliche and you would just be like, oh, that's, you know, that's a fake movie. Whereas this, you know, you just get a glimpse of the corner and then boom, you're down. Because that's, if you were really murdered this in ending that fashion, works. that's what would happen. Yeah, this ending yeah. works. Don't change it. Please don't. Speaking of different endings, we could talk about a couple. The directors initially had some sort of shocking ending in mind, but when they ran out of money, they settled for the, what they got. Um, oh, oh, let's see. What, what, where's it at here? My nerd. So yeah, the, the some of the stuff that they had that was an alternate ending was uh, Mike being hanged by a noose, having him crucified to a large stick figure and appearing with a bloody chest. Stick figures themselves were experimented with as decorations in the final scene. In the end, the directors were pretty happy with what they had. Um, so they they were so happy with it that they shot an additional interview scene where they were, where it was explained that Rustin Parr forced one of the kids. Basically, they were gonna have like a tackle on ending, where it was explained that Rustin Parr is the one who killed Heather and Mike. So, yeah, again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, and fuck that. Glad they didn't do that kind of ending. Like, we don't need to be dumbed down. Like, we don't need the exposition of this variety, you know? Oh, it was Rust and Parr. Like, we got that. As the audience, as the viewer, you know, we were told the Rust and Parr story. Once the ending comes in, we see Mike in the corner. Two and two, we can put that together. It still makes four. We know that it's Rust and Parr, because it was explained to us by the fisherman before. So, that's all. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the movie, man. That's, that's Blair Witch Project. Now, before we get to the categories, though, I mean, there's Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, that came out a year later. (laughs) I saw that one in theaters on Halloween night. I remember Ben Metzger being there. I don't know. I saw it with you. You were there too? Yeah, we all saw it together. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie since. That's one of the few movies. Oh, I've definitely seen it since. That was a one and done for me because that left such a sour taste in my mouth. I mean, you you have like this iconic Uh, found footage movie. At this point, I knew it was fake. Like by the time the sequel was coming out, you know, I had grown smart enough. But I knew it was fake, but I was like, oh, okay, let's see where they take the sequel. Because I was like, I can't imagine they're going to do like the same thing over again, you know, with the found footage and just the way they did it. So I was like, it'll be interesting to see it, you know, step over to a traditional movie. And I don't remember much about the film. I just remember like they're in like this loft type place. I remember seeing Michael Weston fucking run around this house and then at the end the big twist where they're it turns out they're the ones killing each other at night and they don't remember it i don't i just remember having such a bad taste in my mouth from that movie that i was like i I don't need to see this ever again i'm good to me it'll go down as like one of the worst most misguided thrown together piece of shit sequels that have ever been put to film Oh, man, yeah, it's something. But it's not... I don't know. The only thing I like about the film is the nostalgia that it brings me. Because it came out at a time of my life when... I don't know. It was just I was just a time I miss. But And, and it also, you know, takes me back to that Halloween. 
it's it's not often I see films in, in theaters on Halloween because I typically like to be actually out socializing on Halloween night and not secluded to a theater sitting down watching something on the screen. I know I saw this in 2000 and then the following year me and Venker went to White Marsh and saw 13 Ghosts on Halloween night. But yeah, the... Um, you know, the, the the movie definitely has its audience. Unfortunately, we're not that we're we're not part of that audience because the movie as a whole, man, it's just it's all over the place. You got Jeffrey Donovan, um, yeah, Michael Watson, yeah, yeah, Kim director, uh, yeah, what's her face? The Warlock chick was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and she was also in Wrong Turn too. I forgot her name, Erica something, and and yeah, and essentially all the characters I know. I remember all the uh, the characters kind of like this movie had the same first names as the real as the real actors' names like like uh, Jeff his name is Jeffrey in the, in the film so I don't know but the movie itself it's just it's it's it was a rushed mess it it, it totally disregards the fir- the found footage format and it basically it, it it tried to be like ahead of its time as like a meta movie. But unfortunately, it just misses the mark on so many levels. Um, and then Blair Witch 2016. Where are you on that film? Never seen it. You've, that's Never right. had interest. Okay. I honestly, Book of Shadows left such a sour taste in my mouth. I was like, I never need to watch it's, another Blair Witch it's a sequel. Fresh, it's a fresh return to form because it's Adam Wingard bringing back the franchise full circle. Um, I think I did your next. Yes. Is that it? Yes, okay. yes. And um, Simon Baird, his uh, writing partner, also uh, wrote it. But yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, it's it's at least a good watch for the first time. I enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it when I went to uh, the screening for that about five or six years ago when it came out. But yeah, I, I, I've got nothing really... I don't have too many... I don't have too much bad things to say about Blair Witch 26. Excuse me. A Black Blood Witch 2016. Jesus, indigestion. Sorry about that, guys. But yeah. Um, I'm hoping to cover that film in general one day. Maybe for next year's Harathon. So, who knows? Keep an eye out. But yeah, that is The Blood Witch Project from 1999. God damn, man. I feel like Prince right now. Alright, let's get into the categories. Kicking them off with... Box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. Let's talk some financials, shall we? Come on, like my door. Film premiered on January 23rd, 1999 at the Sundance Film Festival, as I talked about before before being released to the general public on July 30th, 1999 from Artists and Entertainment. Originally, when it came out wide, it was 1,101 screens, but then after a couple weeks, it, it got bumped up to nearly 2,500 screens across the country. So it's pretty it's pretty goddamn good for its time. Um, it's a lot of screens. It's, that's more than doubled. Opening weekend, it brought in $29.2 million. Coming in at number two, another local movie was at number one that box office weekend, Runaway Bride, which was filmed right up the street from us, literally, like five minutes away. Um, 
Second weekend, it came in at $24.3 million, also second place. It was just a drop-off of 16%. And the total gross, holy shit, the total gross for this movie, and ended up bringing in $248.6 million against a $60,000 budget. <laughs> yeah, it's just insane. And that's $250 million 20 years ago. Yeah. $250 million for a movie now would be good for an independent movie now. It's would nuts, be really good. Julia. So imagine t- 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago when I first started driving, gas was like a dollar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so just imagine oh, like yeah. how much money that is. It's stupid money. And it made a killing because everyone saw this. Everyone and their mother. And it wasn't like one of those horror films that everyone just crowded to the box office that first weekend. And then like no one went the second weekend and it had because of that there was a huge drop off like we're not talking like Friday the 13th uh 2009 numbers because that had like one of the worst second weekend box office drops ever I, I think Halloween ends just suffered one as well it's unfortunate when films like that happen but it typically happens with horror sequels so this movie though nah just just yeah good word of mouth yeah people were talking about it. people thought it was real and- I I I wanted to guess that a lot of the teens and younger people in the movie theater bought it right. at that time. Whether people would want to admit it or not, I think maybe adults probably didn't, but I, I think younger, more naive people definitely bought it back then. And it going from 1,100 screens at first up to and getting bumped up to 2,500, that's just, that's, that's unheard of. That's rare, yeah. So, but yeah, that's, um, it, it made a killing and... Y'all know why. So let's move on. It's, uh, y'all know what we thought about the film. Let's hear what the critics thought and head to the critics' corner. Which project has a Rotten Tomato score of 68... I'm sorry, I'm feeling dyslexic. 86% based off of 165 reviews with a critical consensus that reads, full of creepy campfire scares, Mock Doc, the Blair Witch Project, keeps audiences in the dark about its titular villain, proving once more that imagination can be as scary as anything on screen. I like that a lot. Cause it, it also, it, it's true. It's so true. Like, like I said before, sometimes your you know, your own mind can be your worst nightmare. It's like your, your imagination, it can run too wild sometimes. And, and for a film not to show off its, its titular villain, first of all, that takes balls. Second of all, you know, it's pretty much like, you know, you can now interpret your own, you know, Blair Witch so, since you don't, I, I know they had like a Seth MacFarlane figure that came out not long after the film was released, but I don't think like that got signed off by anyone who's anyone by like Eduardo or, or Myrick or anything like that. Um, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I, I, I vaguely remember what that even looks like, that, that figure. I remember there being one. But if my memory serves me correctly, I want to say it kind of reminded me of the Tooth Fairy from Darkness Falls. Kind of had that look going for it. So, but anyway, 
Um, hey, Koi, where are you at on Darkness Falls? Uh, I remember it being a guilty pleasure. <laughs> like, you know, it. I would say it's a fun horror movie. Is I haven't what I seen remember. that movie in forever. I couldn't tell you I what I think it, about it. Would I say it's good? No, but I remember rewatching it, and it was fun. That's just what I remember. Ah, one of these days. Anyway, um, film has a meta score of 81 out of 100 based off of 33 reviews. It's got a C-plus cinema score and a four-star rating from Ebes, who called it an extraordinary, effective horror film at a time when digital techniques can show us almost anything. The Blair Witch Project is a reminder that what really scares us is the stuff we can't see. The noise in the dark is always, is almost always scarier than what makes the noise in the dark. James Brodinelli also gave it, well, not also, he gave it three and a half out of four stars. Almost, almost, almost four stars. Sanchez and Myrick deserve credit not only for attempting something different, but for succeeding so brilliantly at it as well. Todd McCarthy from um, Variety Magazine said, uh, it's an immensely imaginative piece of conceptual filmmaking that also delivers the goods as a dread-drenched horror movie. The Blair Witch Project puts a clever modern twist on the universal fear of the dark and things that go bump in the night. Uh, let's see, one person that didn't like this movie, I'll, I'll name off two actually. We'll start off with Andrew Saris from the New York Observer, who deemed it overrated very professional, as well as a rendition of the ultimate triumph of the Sundance scam. Make a heartless home movie, get enough critics to blurb and near unison scary, and watch the suckers flock to be sleep, to be fleeced. He also asked, where is the suspense? Where is the involvement? Where is the identification? Thank you for that contribution, Andy. Uh, Anne Hornaway, I'm sorry, Anne Hornaday from the Baltimore Sun. No, I take that back. It was just Andrew who shit on this movie. Anne gave it a four out of four. I thought that said one out of four. So Anne Hornaday actually thought this was perfect. She says the terrifying ghost story that this is is guaranteed to haunt filmgoers long after they've persuaded themselves that it's only a movie. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone called it a groundbreaker in fright that reinvents scary for the new millennium and said, I have seen the new face of horror of movie horror and its name. God, I hate this fucking quote. A lot of a lot of reviewers say this quote. I have seen the new face of whatever it is, and its name is the Blair Witch Project. A groundbreaker in fright that reinvents scary for the new millennium. Um, yeah, you get the gist. Pretty much most critics, all in all, loved it. All the who's who, the people whose opinions matter. They gave it, uh, you know, at four stars, three and a half stars. They were all very, very, very positive towards this movie, which is a rare thing for horror, especially independent horror. So, um, yeah, it, it got its love all around from the fans and the critics. So now we can kind of carry on, talk a little bit more about what we thought about the film in the form of pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing. Positive versus negative. 
Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Coy, what are your pros for the Blair Witch Project? Uh, my first pro is just the believability, just the way the movie's shot and just the way the movie's executed. It makes it very believable. I would argue one of the most believable as far as like a found footage movie. I mean, I'm sure there's been a ton. So, I mean, I'm sure somebody could probably dig up some obscure movie that maybe does it better. But as far as like a mainstream hit in the horror world, I would say this one does it the best. Honestly, I I have. I never really caught in the question believability for me as I was watching this. Like I totally bought a hook, line and sinker. Uh, and obviously that was a long time ago. But even watching it today, even if I had never seen this film and I watched it today, I would know it's not real, but I would still and I still feel the same way. It still feels very believable. I, you know, the fact the whole setup, the reason that they would be filming, the fact that they would have the technology to continue filming. Uh, you know, maybe towards the end, do I believe that they'd be filming? Probably not. And then obviously the whole question of editing all this together. Anyway, believability is number one for me uh, is I totally buy that this is like a documentary and found footage thing. All right. My second pro is the uh, performances. You know, I'm not talking Oscar worthy here. <laughs> you know, uh, are they the greatest performances? No, but I think for a no budget horror movie like this i think they get pretty good performances out of everybody i mean heather is obviously the one that carries the film but i think all three of them uh are believable in the reactions and just in the general banter uh you know so i buy i buy the performances it would be very easy for me to just maybe buy two out of the three or just all three of them are just horrible and i don't want to watch it uh but yeah my next pro definitely has to be the performances and uh, my last pro, this one might be a little um, out there with it, but my last pro is just the marketing and just the way that this movie was released, I think was awesome. Like the guerrilla marketing where it was just a website and you didn't really see anything. It was just a teaser. Uh, you know, you didn't see that back then. Nowadays, it's pretty common practice. And I think a lot of that is modeled off of the way this movie was done. So it might be kind of out there, but for the movie, I'm going to, give it as somebody who lived back then and someone who saw the movie in theaters. I want to give a pro to the marketing because it really worked. I mean, everybody was talking about this movie. Everybody wanted to see this movie. Uh, people were intrigued and I'm not just saying people that were into horror or film, uh, such as Ed and I were, uh, just everybody was talking about it. It was the talk of 99. So yeah, I just want to give a shout out to the marketing guys and, you know, that might be kind of odd to put as a pro, but, you know, I'm going to bring it up. I, I really think they did a great job marketing this movie in a guerrilla style tactic. So, yeah, that's the last pro for me. All right. My pros. Number one, the hype train. Like we discussed earlier, the hype behind this movie, just all that surrounded it was just ahead of its time, explosive, just groundbreaking, just A plus viral marketing. You had to have been there. At its, at, you you had to have been alive to experience it, or or been old enough to to be in the know because it was just great stuff for its time. That's so that's the first positive behind this. Uh, next, it's just the legend that's created. It's it's detailed and creative. You know, I'm a little bit biased, but you know, 
doesn't matter. I, I still think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not like just your your typical spooky story that they added like elements to it, like the whole co- coffin rock and Rustin Parr. And there's like, and, 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 and just and the whole township of Burkittsville, there's just so much lore to it that they added. There's like a lot of depth to the story. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's above and beyond your typical ghost story. Uh, also a few key effective moments that are genuinely frightening, like, like the scene when they get, you know, chased out of their tent. Or the, the whole final five minutes, you know, for that matter. There's some genuinely, you know, even though, you know, the jig is up at this point 20 odd years later. Um, you know, not that the, the jig really lasted too long after the film was released. Because that's another thing we didn't really talk about was when the reveal happened. But, um, you know, that the it's still rewatching it tonight earlier before this recording, like. I, I was affected by some of the moments, you know, still. And finally, the runtime is perfect. Clocks in at just under 81 minutes without credits. Like, couldn't ask for a better runtime for a movie of this magnitude. So, this this movie had no business going on for as long as, you know, it could have. You know, 80 minutes, that's perfect for this kind of film. So perfect. So, can't I can't highlight that one enough. So those are all my pros in a nutshell. Um, let's move on to cons. How about you, Cor? Start it off. Uh, I mean, my first con is definitely the middle part of the film. It's not a huge deal, but it does become a little monotonous. <laughs> you know, just hearing the uh, continuing arguing and just basically same setup over and over again in the middle. Just they wake up, walk, yep, argue about being lost. Uh, sit around a campfire, then creepy shit happens at night. So, you know, I don't know if I would shorten it because the movie's already really short, but, you know, just maybe one or two more things thrown in there to kind of vary it up a little bit. Um, but it's nothing major. I mean, it's nothing like rewatching the movie. I had a good time rewatching it. I didn't think it felt long. I, you know, I didn't have any issues. But if you're asking me for a con, I would definitely say the middle part can be a little bit, you know, you know, the samey same as it continues. Yeah. Um, my next con again, it's nothing major. I, I, I love the fact that imagination plays a big fact or plays a big part into why this movie is scary, but I would have liked to seen a little bit more, just a little bit more, I just get something mm-hmm. else thrown in there. It could be in the middle of the movie could be at the finale. I don't have a specific spot, but just a little bit more to kind of keep my imagination rolling. Uh, you know, I like the sticks. I kind of like what they did with a lot of that stuff, but I just wish there was a little bit more added in some of the scenes. But yeah, that's my cons. Nothing uh, much major. All right, for me, um, all the unatten all the uh unintentional humor is just a bit much. Don't need it. <laughs> Seriously, kick that fucker in the river. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the arguing and bickering doesn't hold up at all. So that uh, pretty much piggybacking off of what you said, that whole middle act, that's all that this whole, that's all the middle of this film is, is them fighting over stupid shit. And then just the ending. Um, I like the ending. I love the ending, but it could be better. It's, it's, it's not, and I just, 
I like this ending. I really do. Don't get me wrong. I, I praised it in the breakdown and everything. But there's still just a cynical side of me that's like, you can do a little better. So yeah, and maybe that's uh, maybe that is just that goes into what you said about just showing us something. So like, like I said before, I really wish Josh would have had his fucking camera in focus and he would have shot what he was supposed to see. But you know, shit happens, and we got what we did. So uh, can't win them all. Uh, but yeah, those are our pros and cons. And now let's talk about things that we would change. Talk about our Mulligan moments. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? I would definitely not have left all the arguing in the film. Just, I would have instead focused more on the story that they aimed to, that, just focus more on the story that they were going for initially. I really wish Josh or Heather would have just caught whatever Heather saw on camera. Like I said uh, just a minute ago, that's another thing. Um, just so we had a glimpse of something, like you said in your cons. And, you know, just a glimpse. That would have been satisfactory at its best. What do you, how about you, though, Corey? I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what your Mulligan moment is. Yeah, my biggest thing with this movie is the whole part with the kick the fucker in the river. Honestly, <laughs> as I'm watching the movie back, and I even remember us laughing about it back then, uh, you know, I, I, I even have a vague memory of, uh, it might have been Ben. I don't know. I feel like he is one of the Metzgers. But I feel like it might have been Ben. He, he was. He just found that hilarious. That whole scene. And he. I just remember him saying it and laughing. But it could have been somebody else. It's a vague memory. But I just remember us laughing about it. It takes me out of the movie a little bit. It's just. I know they wanted a reason to get rid of the map. I'd have been fine with just. Oh shit. It was in my pocket. Now it's gone. Honestly, I know that's not an explanation, but at least in my imagination, I can chalk that up to whoever's fucking with him took it, you know, <laughs> as opposed to uh, Mike just for some reason kicking that fucker in the river. I mean, otherwise, he's acting fairly rational, but for some reason, he's going to get rid of the map when they're lost. I don't know. I just don't get that part or even have like maybe they find the map and there's creepy shit drawn on it. I don't know. Like something, you know, or it's soaked with blood. I don't, I mean, I don't yeah. know. I'm just spitballing here, but just some other way to get rid of the map. I, it takes me out of it so much. <laughs> Even today, I, I chuckled at it. I kicked that fucker in the river. I knew <laughs> it was coming. I remember the line. Uh, and it was, uh, and I was curious. I was like, is it going to be as bad as I remember it? And uh, yeah, it was as bad as I remember it. Uh, just get rid of that line. Just find a different way to get rid of the map. All right. Well, how about our favorite moments? Finger licking good. Finger licking good. Uh, the moment that they're chased out of their tents, forced to hide in the darkness. Like, I can only imagine having to do all that. Just, uh, it's it's such an intense moment. It really is. And I, I, that's got to be my favorite scene of the film. It had my attention at the most. It 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 it's it's effective, like I said, and um, yeah, that that moment where they hear the kids' voices, followed by the directors just pushing against the tents, making them run out, and then they just spend the rest of the night, literally, in the middle of the darkness, just where they were. They didn't leave one another. They just stayed there until the sun came up. So. 
Luckily, they didn't have to wait long because I think Mike makes the comment they've only been there for like an hour and the sun was starting to come up. So that's good. But yeah, <laughs> that's my favorite part. Yeah, I mean, my favorite part of the film is the apology. I I really enjoy uh, that's a good one. You know, the that's whole good. thing of Heather Heather talking to the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a moment I kind of forgot about. I remembered, even though I'd only seen this movie once, possibly twice, maybe I rented it at some point, but uh, definitely not more than twice. So, you know, th- I remembered vague things about it. Like, I remember, obviously, the line, kick the fucker in the river. I remembered the ending. I remembered interviews at the beginning, but I kind of forgot about Heather's apology. Uh, so rewatching it now, it really stood out to me. I was like, wow, that was really good. I, I, you know, as believable, you know, is it kind of silly looking? You see your snotty nose? Sure. But I mean, if you basically think you're going to die. It makes sense. And I think she's really believable. I think that's something you would do. Like if you had a camera there with you and you were in a life or death situation, I would put something to film, you know, just saying like, hey, mom and dad, in case anybody finds this, you know, and I would apologize, too, because it kind of is her fault. You know, (laughs) she put the whole thing together and it was her way of the highway. So uh, that all makes sense to me why her character would do that and why her character would look like that. And I think Heather's, uh, you know, I, I think it's very believable in that scene her performance. So, yeah, I really like that part. That that was probably the part that surprised me the most rewatching it. And it stuck out to me. So I like the whole apology part. All right, let's move on then to our movie MVPs. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. The most valuable player is... This is going to be an interesting category. I went with Josh. Just process of elimination since he's the only one who really went on to have a career in movies in the film industry after this um you know i mean they all did a good job that's why i'm saying like at this at this case i'm just kind of like pulling my answer out of the sheer fact that joshua leonard you know went on to have a successful career in the genre whereas heather donahue after this kind of went on and did she had an appearance in that Freddie Prince Jr., Jason Biggs film Boys and Girls. She was also on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in the first season. She was in... Oh, God, I'm leaving something out that I know she was a part of, and I can't remember. She was on this show... I think it was called Taken. It was a sci-fi miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel, actually. I know um, Dakota Fanning was on it. There was a bunch of people in this particular miniseries. And I remember she had a role in that. And uh, roughly that's it. Like, she just tried. I mean, she made an effort to, to, to make a career after this film, but it didn't really take off for her. And as far as uh, Mike, I don't know what the hell happened to him after this movie. I think maybe he just did things behind the scenes, if anything, because he definitely didn't go on to be much of a actor um and if he did forgive me for not remembering him in anything the way i remember josh of course and some somewhat heather um but yeah getting back to my answer to the category uh joshua leonard because you know i'm a fan of his work i really am and i think he does a good job in this movie just a little bit better than heather and mike who also do good jobs 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it's definitely Heather. I and mean, she's the main character. You know, all three are really main characters, but, you know, she's kind of the one that carries the movie more so. It's really her story. You know, she's the one that put all this together. She's the one that's pushing it forward. Uh, and I liked her apology scene, so it makes sense I would pick her. I mean, it, does she come across as annoying in certain spots? Yeah, like here in the arguing and all that. Um, but no, I think she turns in a good performance here for, you know, a new unknown actress. I think it comes off really well. I, I think she's believable in the role, and I think it would be very easy, you know, even though there's certain parts that are annoying and the arguing can get kind of grating, it'd be very easy to have a lesser actor in here and it would just be, I just don't want to watch the movie. I don't care about this character. I don't like this character. I don't believe this character at all. You know, it's believable. She's likable enough. I believe that she's like a filmmaker too. I mean, she kind of pulls that off fairly well, uh, you know, in the way Chandles the camera and they talk uh, shop in certain spots. You know, it's believable enough that I believe that she would be shooting a documentary. So yeah, I'll give it to Heather. I, I think, she uh, definitely holds the movie down. All right. It's time to turn in our ratings. Give this film the final effect treatment. Ow. On a scale of one. Ow. On a scale. Ah. On a scale. Ow. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? I'm giving this three and a half stars. It was a real game changer for the genre and will always be historical and hold historical merit in horror. Um, it'll always be remembered for the hype surrounding it and that famous nose leaking scene that's been spoofed to death over the last 20 years. Rewatching it today, it has its moments, but there's definitely moments that are all over the place. And I also feel that the filmmakers decided to leave way too much of the arguing element into the final cut. Too many mood changes, like all the characters are bipolar or something. But again, it's definitely a film that has its moments that still hold up such as the scenes that we discussed over and over, like the Rustin Parr house at the end, the, 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 the tent encounter, um, you know, basically I'm just summarizing everything that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes in these categories and, uh, explaining why this is a three and a half star film out of five for me. How about you, Corey? Yeah, I mean, mine's pretty close. I'm going to give it three out of five. I think it's a solid film. I think it's a great example of a found footage movie. Uh, I think it's a trailblazer as far as marketing. Uh, you know, both of us like the marketing enough that we put it in our pros. So, you know, how often does that make it into the pros, the oh, marketing yeah. of the film? Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, having lived at that time and having to be the exact right age at that time as well, I mean... I think it was a template and, you know, for years to come, many movies were marketed like that. Every time I would see a movie like that, like Paranormal Activity or Cloverfield, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's the Blair Witch way. Like That's literally what I thought or said. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's the Blair Witch marketing or the viral marketing. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely influential in those terms and it holds up. I mean, you know, is anybody going to get as scared as I did or you did? Nowadays, probably not, because anybody who watches it is obviously going to know it's not real. And right. The believability part is gone. But I think just being able to appreciate it as just a spooky little uh, found footage movie, I think it's still there. I think it holds up. Uh, you know, are there parts, like you said, uh, that aren't that great? Sure. It's not a perfect movie, but I think it's done in such a fashion and it's done well enough 
that it still holds up to today. I mean, I enjoyed my viewing. I, I was really worried I was going to be like, oh, man, I was a dumb teenager. I can't believe <laughs> I ever thought this was scary right. or that I ever liked this. But no, I can totally understand now why uh, 14 year old me was scared shitless by this movie. Uh, I could totally see that thinking it's real and then going home at night that night, you know, during that summer. So, yeah, I totally I think it holds up and I think it's well worth time watching. You know, is it perfect? No, I wish it had a little bit more lore thrown in there. Maybe just a little bit more scenes of something being seen. But I love the fact that this movie uh, just plays with your imagination and just lets it run wild. I think. In horror, that's usually the best way to do it. I think that's why Michael Myers works so well in the original Halloween movies. Uh, you know, just so much left up to your imagination. I think this movie does it in a different way here. And yeah, it's just awesome. It's just one I like, and uh, I'm glad I went back and rewatched it for the show. It definitely holds up. All right, well, this episode's been sponsored by Kodak Film. Capture your next memory with the finest grain and best quality around with expanded high-quality range. Be smart, shoot Kodak. As always, this is not a real sponsorship, rather more of a faux sponsorship. It's a harmless comedy bit and isn't meant to be ever taken seriously. Relax, these are the jokes. Unfortunately, we've reached the end of our Blair Witch Project episode, a film that undoubtedly gets that full film effects seal of approval, Regardless of age, one down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-going collection of film effect deep dives on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Breaker, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Good Pods, Podbean, or SoundCloud. We've got you covered. And while you're at it, please don't forget to smash those like and subscribe buttons and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, all that stuff. All links in the episode notes. You can reach out to us by email at thefilmeffectpodcast at gmail.com or by messaging us directly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Ratings and reviews, please consider leaving a positive one on your platform of choice. Spread the word. Help us out. And maybe one day we can have a community big enough to dominate the movie podcast circuit. Coming up, sadly all good things must come to an end. And with that, there's only one more Halloween Harathon 2 Dead by Pod episode left. And we definitely saved the best one for last because we'll be giving Trick or Treat the ultimate film effect treatment just in time for Halloween Day. Till then, thanks all for listening. You're all the best. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this has been the Halloween Horathon 2 Dead by Pod on the Film Effect Podcast. See you all real soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. Ah, shit. I just kicked my phone into the fucking river. Oh, something bit. Nice. Ha <laughs> <laughs>